Lords, ladies, and lowlifes, I'd like to welcome you to the second season of How Not to Start a Damn Brewery, the podcast. When my brewery was facing extinction for the third of five times, I poured my heart into a book by the same name and released it on Amazon and Kobo in August of 2021. That was my sordid tale about the mistakes I made and the punches I took over a 10-year career in craft beer. It was tough to write, but it was a story that needed to be shared and it contained lessons I wanted to make sure others could learn from. I truly hope you grab a copy and reach out and let me know your thoughts. In this podcast, I wanted to share the stories of struggle, strife, and sacrifice that other owners and operators have experienced. Some of the content is emotional, and some of it is inspirational. And I'm confident that if you listen closely, you'll find all of it to be educational. I want to take the time to honestly thank you for being here, and thanks for listening, subscribing, sharing, and liking the podcast. With your help and the help of our guests, I truly hope that we can teach the world how not to start a damn brewery. Today, my friends and foes, we sit down with Adam Metcalf, general manager and all-around cool dude at Aces and Ales in Las Vegas, Nevada. Aces represents the trailblazing craft beer bar. You know what I'm talking about because we all have an example of one somewhere near us. In virtually every market over the last decade, someone has come on the scene with a unique take on selling beer to people, at least one that was unique based on the 20 years before that. They develop relationships with distributors, they offer the most interesting and dynamically rotating craft beer selection in town and they add personality to the process of boozing it up. So selling craft beer at a craft beer bar is not unique. But what is unique is to grow from one location to two, and then two locations to a third, complete with a brand new brewery. Aces and Ales had crafted a solid business in a shaky industry, and I wanted to sit down with Adam in hopes that you and I might find out why. He was terrifically open and honest, and by the end, I realized there was something special going on at Aces. Somehow, years in this industry had not beaten them down. I was struck by the fact that he was still passionate, still looking to the future, and still fucking happy about it. So there's a lot to take away from this interview, and for your sake, I truly hope you take it all. Cheers, and listen in. All right, Adam, I want to thank you for talking, thanks for sharing, and thanks most of all for giving a triple distilled fuck in an old world cocktail about helping my guests be better at their careers. So today we've got something a little different. My buddy Paul, who happens to also live in Vegas and be one of your customers, is here with us. So this may go down in history, maybe small history, but history in general as being similar to book number 129 in the Spider-Man series. It's the first time that the Punisher was ever shown. So Paul and I are considering doing a podcast. And if we actually do our podcast together, this will be the first time Paul was ever on a podcast with me. Yeah, it's very exciting. I, I, it's an anniversary <laughs> of sorts. I'm going to put it in the calendar then. Calm down, Paul. All right. So... I want to, Adam, I wanted to have you on the show simply because you've been around, you've seen it all. Obviously, you've, you're, you're in Las Vegas, you're, you're running bars, and, and you've got all kinds of access to all kinds of things. And you've you had interactions with breweries that I can't even imagine, that some were successful, some were not. Um, obviously, some have passed away. And uh, I hope that you'll be able to teach us like what a brewery owner can do to have the kind of relationship with a, a high-end craft beer bar that they need to have. And so I'm hoping that's what we get out of this. I'm also hoping I get a little bit of a buzz by the end and I'm mostly hoping that we all three have a good time, but um, let, let's get right to it. What, who were you before you were a craft beer person? I came out to Vegas to finish my bachelor's degree at UNLV, but was always in the service industry. My family, my dad was in the bars and kind of just grew up in it in upstate New York. Just kind of went around different serving jobs after UNLV, moved out to California where just for vacation, my roommate and I both had a, uh, our restaurants at the time both had closed down simultaneously. 
So we went out to California for a year vacation. I got with the Outback group, met my wife. She followed me back here. So I couldn't, I couldn't even leaving the state, I couldn't get rid of her. So she's, <laughs> she, she held on, came back with Outback, uh, got into gaming bars because of the money. And then when they closed down with the smoking initiative, I went into the casino business. I was with the Venetian for a bunch of years. And then when the big crash in 2008 happened, a lot of things started getting cut back. And that's when I opened my first craft beer bar restaurant at the Palazzo called I Love Burgers. So that got me into craft beer, but more importantly, it got me started with relationships with distributors. Mm. So between the craft beer distributors and, you know, the different distributors, I started hearing about this place called Aces and Ales, this building that we're sitting in, my best friend worked at for nine years. And he just (laughs) happened to mention to me one day, he's like, hey man, the drop team was in and you know that Aces and Ales bar? I had never been to it. I hate to say that, but it's over on Nellis, I don't drive too far to drink that is and then i'm like yeah man i've heard of it so i went over and checked it out new to craft beer went over checked it out went at the worst time they were just getting ready for an event which now i know about (laughs) and i'm like dude this place had like 12 or it has 20 taps and 12 of them are off i'm like this is kind of stupid yeah and i didn't realize now that they're setting up and getting the lines cleared off i met the gm at the time who actually opened this location she was great she was personable her name was misty and i was like I'll throw my hat in the ring. And they did the interviews right down the street at Tanea Creek Brewing. Went in there, didn't need the job. I had a job. I was making good money. So I was kind of (laughs) loose. Walked out and I was like, I smashed that. And uh, and a few years later, Ryan and Carrie told me, they're like, we specifically were not going to hire anybody that people told us we needed to hire (laughs) until we interviewed you. And they're like, well, shit, we got to hire him. Yeah, so, now we're fucked. Like, yeah. yeah, but uh, I just went in loose. You know what I mean? I, I didn't care, honestly, at the time if I worked there. It, I had no idea that it would turn out to be my whole life. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, it just aces and ales is all I do now. I mean, my family, like my wife and I joke, like if I ever leave aces, we're going to need new wardrobes because <laughs> she awful. wears aces hoodies and shirts. My kids wear aces hoodie. My mom, you know what I mean? Like we live it. It's, it's a family thing. My mom and my wife painted this room and we build the furniture and, you know, we do everything around here. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a family thing, especially for me because I'm boots on the ground. Ryan and Carrie hugely invested in, in their time. But as far as like the labor of love, that's my family. Yeah. We do a lot that, of it. That's cool. Well, I can tell you from my experience, that's exactly what happened. So I sold my brewery after owning it almost 10 years, uh, two months ago. And I have worn the t-shirt once. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't want to support. It's not, and I wish them the best. It's not that. It's just not mine anymore. It's just right. a different feel. So uh, at some point, I'll don the gears again. But uh, yeah, you'll have to get a new wardrobe if you ever want. So. <laughs> Let's hope I don't have to. Yeah, exactly. So for the people, which there's gonna, most of them probably have not either been here or heard of you guys, I definitely want to hear like, w- like what is sort of the, the business model of Aces and Nails, but since Paul has been a longtime customer, let's let him tell. Why do you come here? What do you like about this place? Yeah, I think it's unique um, to always talk about Aces because it's always the go-to place. My boss and I, for the last, I don't know, eight years, we would always talk about, hey, let's meet at the office. And nobody can see my air quotes up right now, but I've got them up. <laughs> and we just both knew that the office was coming to Aces and Ales. And we'd get a table there. We knew all the servers. It, there's just a unique feel and vibe here. And you know you can get so many different types of beers. The selection's always very diverse. And again, once you've been here enough, you just kind of know. You walk in and they're like, oh, it's Paul again. Or they call me something different once they know me really well. So, <laughs> Asshole. Yeah. yeah. I, I've only been called that once in my life, I swear. Um, but 
bottom line, this is the office for me, and it's always been the office when I'm not at my other office. So, so I think one of the questions I would have is, and I think what's important to distinguish too is obviously when people think of Vegas, they think of Strip, and they think of like you know multi-billion dollar facilities. So, how are you guys unique in Vegas in general, and like what do you do that sets you apart from all the other places here in town to have a beer? So. When I'm talking about aces and ales, you know, there's the the generic points. You know, I always talk about, obviously, our craft beer selection, our vintage bottle selection. We just had talked about our our spirits, which I think are above and beyond what you'll find at a, a neighborhood bar. We have an all-scratch kitchen that's absolutely unbelievable. The food here is fantastic. I mean, I've worked here for eight years, and, of course, you work in a place long enough, you get sick of the food. We've got great food. And, you know, I think that we just do all the elements really well. But the big thing is for us is service. You know, we don't hit the mark every time. Nobody does. But we want people when they come in to have a great time. You know, we try to keep our staff as educated in all aspects as possible. But with our beer list, we have a rotating tap list of 50 handles here with all the spirits, with the food. It's a lot of information for, you know... Somebody that's just a server or bartender that maybe isn't 100% like this is my life. But, uh, you know, they do a great job. You know, it's it's just we want to give people a great experience. And that's just what it's about. So, you know, with the events that we do, the different things we run, the promotions, we just want to give people some place to come and have fun. Be relaxed in a great environment that, you know, they feel safe. Especially now, the last two years with COVID, yeah. it's gotten a little weird. Sure. But you know, we want people to know that we give you know that we give a shit. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, that has to evolve through the years. But when you guys opened in '09, I can only imagine that craft beer was not a thing for the most part. Uh, it had to have been a bit risky and weird. And yeah, so uh, Ryan and Carrie, after the 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 two owners, they met each other through the music business. So Ryan's a ticket broker, was involved in the music business and promoted local bands at this place called Tailspin. Carrie's a musician and they just kind of linked up over time. You know, Adler's Appetite Carrie was in, Ryan's cousin had a part of it, Stephen Adler from Guns N' Roses. Carrie had done stuff on Usual Illusion 1 and 2. So they just would talk music and they both love craft beer. And Carrie made it a point of, hey, other than the freaking frog, which is over a <laughs> place that doesn't exist anymore over by UNLV, there was no craft beer. So they started a bar and they started uh, Aces and Nails on Nellis, which had, interestingly enough, a couple different names, which I am so glad did not go through. Idea names that never made it to the market. Yeah, one yeah. of them shows up. I never knew we would get a, we, we would get this one bill. And it always has this name, and it said Knuckles. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is Knuckles? And I just thought they piggybacked somebody's license yeah. to start Aces. And they're like, oh, no, that's what it was going to be before. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, you know, like, I th- uh, when it, Ryan's wife said it one time, like, you know, like, the Knuckles meet the face or something like that. I'm like, that is the dumbest name. <laughs> no one's I'm going like, there. So I, and Carrie's still, like, he he said stuff. They both said stuff about aces and nails, and you know, uh, well, was that the best name? But it's stuff. It's better than knuckles. Yeah, one hundred percent. But uh, so when they started aces and nails, like I said, there was only the one craft beer bar, legit. You know, I'm sure other people were doing it. We had a couple local breweries at the time, yeah. not nearly as many as we do now. So they got it going, and I mean, a lot of the reps have said they're like, dude, when you went to aces, it was big, bigger, and bigger beer like it was all high abv there was no pilsners there was no wheats they just want to smash you in the face 
they were the first ones to start, you know, bringing brands in and, and, you know, bringing in these cool events. You know, we started our strong beer fest, the winter beer fest. The stone one too, right? Yeah, the stone, the stone was the big one. So we do, we do the biggest stone event every year. It's called Stone Domination. So Greg and Carrie are very good friends. Uh, Greg is in, came from the music business. A lot of people hmm. don't know that. He's, he was in music before he was in brewing. And Carrie's a rock star, so they became really good friends. So Carrie's relationships. Uh, Ryan's kind of the boots on the ground, the hitter in Las Vegas. He knows the, all the angles, all the right people. Carrie's the brewery guy and business guy outside of Las Vegas. So Carrie's relationships with all these different breweries and his traveling all over the country and all over the world, he just sees all these different locations, all this different beer, meets all these different people, and then he takes all those elements and starts plugging them in here. You know, I, I get the most random text messages and emails from all over the world from Carrie. <laughs> look what they're charging. Look at this menu item. Look at that. But, I mean, it's great to have someone like that. Yeah. We need to try what this titty bar in Bangkok is doing right now. Well, uh, last <laughs> night, I mean, literally last night as I was going to bed, he is texting me about Japanese whiskeys because he was with his wife's company on their dime. He's like, I don't want to, like, get the most expensive one, but what's the best one? And I'm like, Dude, I don't know. And I'm like, so I'm like Googling stuff. He's like, I could have done that. <laughs> Call Paul. Yeah. But, you hate uh, Japanese whiskey. I do that, but I know which one's really good. Oh, okay. And yeah, so <laughs> Google, you know, he, he didn't want my Google search that I just screenshot and sent him <laughs> as I'm trying to fall asleep. I'm like, dude, come on. So, you know, they, they had that place going for a couple of years. And then that's when I got involved. So they opened this location. You know, they wanted to start building out. Uh, but when they opened this location... They dropped in the Nellis model, which is a, if you go to Nellis, it's a traditional gaming bar, allows smoking, you know, it's, it looks like any other bar, different interior, obviously. Uh, but when they came over here, they had a much bigger footprint. And when I came in, coming from the restaurant business, a little bit of education, whatever, I just, not that they were doing it wrong, I was just like, ooh, we got to do a couple things differently. And I just started helping Misty out. Misty was dialed at what she did but you know she needed help in other areas i'm the type of person when i work somewhere i can't just punch a clock so i just started helping her and then i could see with ryan's business really taking off with his ticket business he wasn't able to spend a lot of time here carrie being out of state i developed this whole thing about a director of operations i'm like guys you need this like you've got to be able to keep the two places in sync somewhat even though they're two different things so i wrote up this whole thing and i proposed it to them and then i was like shit i hope they pick me and <laughs> they did they got a good deal on me yeah so, you put the bonus structure in low yeah so i kind yeah. of like created my own job within six months of being with the company for context because not everybody lives in nevada to maybe define what a gaming bar is because you don't have that right, in right. every state yeah okay. so a gaming bar it's um 15 machines there's there's a couple different ways you can do it so there's a license where you can have five machines you'll see that at like a traditional place like a mexican restaurant you'll see you'll see a bar have a full bar and have five machines and then you'll have standard gaming bars which are 15 and then there's very few gaming bars left that you can have over 15 so like a big duchies <laughs> um, they just those those licenses aren't out there anymore you can buy existing properties uh, Big Dogs has 30. They're technically a casino. They don't have tables and stuff like that, but they can have more machines. So when you get a license now, and it's a whole process to get a gaming license. Like People don't understand how hard it is to get them. And then to go from two locations to three is like a huge deal. 
So that's what we're mm. going through. Even though our third location will only have five machines, it's still like a big deal when you go from two to three. So there's a lot of things underneath that, you know, people don't think about liquor licenses, beer license, you know, whether you're going to be wine and beer, you're going to wine, beer and liquor. We do to go. So we have a package license mm. that allows us to do growlers and bottle sales out the door. Yeah. When they open this place, you know, it's different. This is different than Nellis. This is a restaurant that has a great bar. So we had to change it up a little bit. And now when we go to the next location, that one's even going to be a little more different. That's going to be a 10,000 square foot restaurant, bar, and brewery. With only five machines? With five machines. Yeah. You know, that will be more of your standard, like 10 a.m. to 2 a.m.-ish, something like that. We're really not sure yet. Just depends on how that, when it gets developed. It's finally under construction. Is that one of those things that like in, in Vegas, you just, you can't operate a bar almost without the gaming machines that like you need that revenue type thing? <laughs> I was just talking about this the other day. I, you can't. There's some places that are doing it. You'll see, you see it now in the arts district. There's uh, some places opening. Uh, Rose just opened a place down there called the Silver Stamp, where she's just doing beer and wine. You see a lot of places that are surviving. It's tough because what you have to remember is the rent it's and everything is best based mm-hmm. on gaming revenue. Got it. So you couldn't afford to come in here and not have gaming. I mean, if people knew what you make off of gaming, like you know, they think we're like we're loaded. And I'm like, you don't understand how many bills and taxes and licenses I pay every three, six year. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. it's a lot of money. So, and there's a lot of cost that goes into it. But yeah, without gaming, you just, you, it won't work in, mm-hmm. in, so, in a lot of situations. Do you think you'd literally have people that would come in to like look around and be like, where well, you're gaming and then just leave if you didn't have it? Oh yeah, 100%. Really? Yeah. I mean, when, so when COVID happened, you know, there was a time that we were, we were only open to go, but we didn't have the machines. And that was, people just could not wrap their head around that they couldn't come in and play the machines. Hmm. And I'm like, bro, we're lucky we can even serve food out the door. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we've had time and the machines are down and that just blows people's minds. They just hmm. like, they're like, well, what do you mean? Like, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting with the new location. I think with the elements that we're putting into the new location, five machines is going to be fine. It's not going to be your standard gaming bar. It's going to be a restaurant that has, you know, a couple machines that people can play. But that's going to be more of a full tilt brewery restaurant bar experience. I have to laugh because for what it's worth, I have never once in my life played a gaming machine anywhere in Nevada. More, moreover, even in a bar, I come here. For the beer to drink. and the ambience <laughs> and the food. I mean, and yeah. hearing you talk about it, it's funny. Like, I've got people that don't drink beer that come with me because they're like, oh, I like the food there, right? So it, you guys have done a good job of really just making this broad enough for everybody to enjoy. But if you're a craft beer person, I mean, it's to me, it's the mecca, especially on this side of town, right? Well, that's one thing we did during COVID, and we had been talking about it for a long time, was the non-smoking. So you, I, I dare you to go out and... You know, if you just drive around, good luck finding a non-smoking mm-hmm. gaming bar that has 15 machines. There's mm-hmm. more of them now since COVID. It isn't a lot. So we put a lot of thought into going non-smoking. But like he was saying, the reason we went non-smoking is the way this building is set up. We're between the private party room, uh, the patio, the, the large dining room, we were noticing that our footprint, we weren't utilizing our square footage. We weren't maximizing our dollar. And the reason is, is, you know, elder, and this is pre-COVID, you know, a lot of older people don't want to have smoke. You can't yeah. bring in kids. You know, I go on date night with my wife. Of course, we, you know, we get a babysitter. The majority of the time I have my kid and you couldn't bring your kids here. And people are going to California and they're going to breweries and they can take their kids in and they come back here 
And they're like, well, I can't do that. I can go to Big Dog and, you know, go to their dining room, you know, you kind of sneak them through there. <laughs> yeah. But you also got to remember, people don't understand the laws and Big Dog's because they're a casino. They can still have smoking in a non-smoking area and allow children, even though the kids have to walk through the smoking area to get to the bathroom. Like, that so, makes complete sense. Yeah, oh, I've made that walk a million times with my kids. Yeah, don't. It, it does not make sense. So during COVID, we finally pulled the trigger. We did a big customer survey, and we were like, okay, how many people are we going to lose? Because we can't afford mm-hmm. to lose gamers. I mean, there's so many bars, so much competition now. You lose two gamers, and it's a huge hit to the checkbook. Yeah. And we were like, we can do it. And there was a little pushback from our bar staff. They were not sure it was going to work. But it's, it's worked out really well. We have picked up so much business. We have ball fields all around here. We get we get smoked when there's soccer tournaments and softball tournaments. And we have no idea when they're coming. That can be <laughs> a lot of fun when you look up. I mean, we had 80 people walk in the door right after COVID kind of settled down and we were able to open back up. We had 80 people walk in one time within 15 minutes. We're running like a absolute thin staff. And I'm like... Oh, we're dead. Yeah. I mean, you don't, don't want to tell people we can't serve them, but I'm like going up to tables like this is going to take a while. Like <laughs> I'm just going to be up front with you. Order two, two drinks a piece. So. Yeah, I'm like I have two cooks and two servers. This is not going to be a great situation. But you know, we've we've learned. It's the you know the learning curve of being non-smoking now, and our guests are going out to the patio. We've built new furniture out there, added some stuff so that they're a little more comfortable when they go out to smoke. But it's, it's worked out well. And then obviously our brewery will be non-smoking as well. We built new furniture, meaning your family did? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's a learning curve too. Like I've got to retop all my patio tables because at the time wood was so expensive. So oh, I just yeah. did what I did. And then I was like, oh, layer plywood for the tops was not a good decision. <laughs> like, it won't last, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, it's all got like little cracks coming out of it. So I'm, it's just fun. You know, it's, I'm building all new furniture for in here. Which has been a nightmare, 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 but it's fun. Yeah. So even on my days off, I'm still working. Days off? Yeah. That's yeah. how it works. Yeah. You, you wanted to own it, right? There, is, <laughs> there is not. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about the definition of craft beer. And I think that stands differently for everybody. What is your definition of craft beer? Yeah, it's weird. You know, there's a, the majority of our customers have no idea about this whole thing with big beer and independent, whatever. I'll just tell you, they honestly don't care. They just want to drink beer. And then you've got the smaller, more vocal subsect, you know, small section that really, really cares <laughs> about. And, and they want yes. everyone to know. Oh, they make sure you. Yeah. The one thing that has been a problem for us, not a problem, it's just, you know, us making a, a decision as a company is because Carrie and Ryan have been involved in the scene here in town for so long, we have so many relationships, to cut people off because now it's the same people working there. It's the same beer made by the same people coming out of the same building, but now they're owned by XYZ bad guy. Now, now all of a sudden we can't, yeah, we're homies, we'll have a drink, but we can't sell your beer anymore. So some of those breweries were easy to cut off. You know, we didn't really care. Yeah. Some of them were tough. You know what I mean? And like Average Joe, in fact, we all know Black Friday's coming up. You know, the Bourbon County release, I was just talking to my Nevada beverage rep this morning about it, asking them, like, what their game plan is going to be because we're not involved in it anymore. And, you know, it's like I miss those times. It was fun. And we're going to get a bunch of people that are going to show up and be like, you're a craft beer bar and you don't do Bourbon County? 
and then we got to have that conversation. You know what I mean? They're yeah. like, oh, they're not independent, whatever. And I get it, man. I know way more people that are independent brewers, and I understand the importance of supporting independent. To us, supporting independence just like supporting local. So we get it and we understand, but we also have a lot of friends that have made a lot of money. You know, all the Ballast Point guys, very good friends of ours. Yusuf, you know, they made a lot of money. And, you know, what I what I think is so hypocritical is that people damn them for selling to Constellation. And I'm like, you know, I've had conversations with those guys and I heard about them sitting at the dinner table 20 years ago. And Jack, I think it was Jack with his wife and they were looking at the stack of bills and which one they're going to pay and which one they're not and trying to pay their staff and whatever. And then 20 years later, because they made a, a great product everybody hates them because they sell it to Constellation, you know, and then they sell Cutwater or they sell Ballast Point Spirits to AB. They made a ton of money. And I'm like, isn't that the point of business is to be super successful and make money, but then they're damned. So it, it, I, I don't like that part of it. You know what I mean? I don't like when people kind of the ill will on that, but it's like, I'm sorry that I was successful and somebody wants my stuff. I'll tell you what, every single person that says that, they ain't going to turn down the the, mil, the billion dollar offer. Well, especially not the billion, right? Everyone's got a price. Yeah, they're not like... Ballast Point would have been the asshole for not taking yeah. it. I don't care who you are. So it is tough. You know, that was a situation like we, we stopped dealing with Ballast. Luckily, most of the guys left. You know, Colby's left over there. But most most of those guys left. So we're like, oh, phew, we don't have to talk to them. But, you know, the tough ones like Lagunitas, super close with those guys. And they're, they're on the edge. You know, some people consider Firestone on the edge. We just did a huge thing with Firestone. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it makes it interesting. But, yeah, our what we sell here now, other than our vintage stock, is independent label only. Okay. So I want to get into the specifics of that first. But first, I have a question for you. How does that either coincide or contradict like your personal opinion of what you drink and what you give a fuck about. And let's, let's run it across the board. Let's say spirits, wine and beer. Does, does it really matter to you as a personal consumer? Everybody that really knows me knows if you come to my house, you, the most of any product you're going to find in my refrigerator is Bud Light. Yeah. I drink Bud Light. I don't care if anybody knows it. I don't drink it when I go to a craft beer bar, but I drink Bud Light. My wife drinks Bud Light. I grew up drinking Budweiser. My family was into Clydesdale horses. My dad was the president of the New York wagon train. I've been to St. Louis. I had a personal tour in the barn. I appreciate Budweiser. I love their commercials, but I get what they did to the business. I understand it. So when it comes to our business, it's not something we support because we are a gaming bar. We do have their bottles. Uh, oh, sure. In a closed secret cooler. No one Locked can in a see. safe. No a time one lock. will ever see or know about it. <laughs> but no, man, I don't, I don't get involved in that. I think it's, I don't like some of that stuff. Um, I don't like the negativity, but I, I understand. And, you know, our business model, we make a decision and we do it. But, uh, yeah, I'm not into it. No, I don't really care. When I'm out and about, I support my friends. Yeah. Most of my friends are independent. So it just works out. But, yeah, if I'm at a ball game, I'm going to drink a Bud Light. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to smash 7 8% IPAs all ball game. I'm going to have a Bud Light. Well, you'd be 350 pounds and drunk yeah. and probably beat your wife and get kicked out. <laughs> but it's yeah. Yeah, I mean, but when you said that thing about liquor and wine, people don't think of it the same way. 
as they do with beer. You know, oh, what I mean, they don't hardly... care where it comes from. They just drink Tito's or they drink a goose or whatever. They don't, you know, care that those evil executives are killing babies or whatever that people think that the big beer does. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's they they have the guerrilla marketing and whatever, and they they buy that. But they're passionate about craft beer, so you're you're a horrible person if you drink it. But they're drinking Jack Daniels. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, same shit, right? <laughs> International company or whatever. For the record, I would never drink mass-marketed beer or Jack Daniels. For the record? Yeah, for the record. Well, you were my next question. So do oh, you? De- how do you define craft beer or spirits you know, or wine? I stopped using... Because you don't drink uh, grocery store wine either, right? I would never. I would yeah. never. Right. If you can buy it at the grocery store, I would buy it. Ass, yeah, yeah. No, I know. <laughs> I mean, here's the reality. <laughs> to me, I stopped using the word craft at one point because to me, I started looking at things being more artisan, Right. How involved were these owners or the proprietors that were starting these businesses? And if they were super involved, that's the artisan aspect of it. Because craft, that definition is way too broad for me. I'm embarrassed to admit that I did not realize that nothing in here, even though I've been drinking here for so long, I I guess once it's bought out by somebody, you guys are kind of done with it. I don't know. And it's how I feel. I mean, I've told you before, there was beers that I liked and I'm like, ah, they got bought. You know what? I'm not drinking anymore. I mean, I sound like a tool saying it, probably because... I am. But besides that, yeah, I mean, to me, I look at the artisan or the artistic level of it. And to me, that's what defines craft beer or even craft spirits for that matter. I am one of those guys that do care about the spirits because I do know that those executives are also killing babies as well. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm 100% where, you know, I've had a lot of relationships with a lot of different breweries. And the involvement and the passion and the people are what I am dedicated to. So there's a lot of brands like that I put in the notes that I support that are 100% craft, but maybe they're not what the cool kids are drinking anymore. Mm. But you know what? Without those brands, we wouldn't be here today. You know what I mean? The Alaskans, the big skies, Sierra Nevada, you know, maybe they're not the cool, you know, can art and can release and all this stuff, but they're solid. You know what you're going to get. And in fact, I sat, we did a collaboration one time with Chris over at Liberty Station for uh, one of our Stone Domination events. Right. So Chris and Mitch and I, Mitch, not Mitch Steele, but the Mitch that works for me, <laughs> even though Mitch is a good, good dude. We went over and we went to the bottle shop and bar next to Liberty Station. And I asked Chris, I was like, hey man, I go, are you into all this? Like, do you still have the passion about beer? Because this is when I was starting to wane. And I'm like, you know, do you care about can releases? Do you chase stuff? And he's like, no, dude. And I'm like, like, for example, I go, if you walked around here right now, what would you get? And his answer, I, I've told the story a million times. He walked over and he picked up a six pack of Moose Stroll from Big Sky. He goes, honestly, he goes, I get this. It's quality. He goes, I just know what I'm going to get. Every time it's going to be the same. He goes, it's a great beer. I'm a huge Big Sky guy. I love Montana. I love Bjorn. I love all those guys. I've been there. And I was like, that's cool. You know what I mean? And so many brewers I talk to, they're not into the game like, you know, like the the beer enthusiasts are. You know what I mean? A lot of them don't know what the newest release is. If it's not coming out of their house, they're just going to drink one of their friend's beers when they go to a bar. Julian from Beachwood's like that. Porter from Smog City. I was talking to Porter from Smog City one day. He had no clue what I was talking about. I was asking him about this beer, that beer. He goes, Adam, he goes, I'm sorry. He goes, I drink our beer. And he goes, when I'm out, I'll drink wherever I'm at. He goes, I don't keep up with that. He goes, this is a business. You know what I mean? And that's where, for me, that's where I'm at now. Is I was really into, you know, I have the whole bottle cellar at my house with all the bottles I'm never going to drink. I would chase them all around. 
And then it became more of a business. And now it's about what's going to be profitable, what do people want, this, that, whatever. And that kind of that fun side went away. And I've had a lot of discussions with people mm-hmm. like genuinely OGs in the beer business. And I'm like, does this happen to you? And they're like, yeah. They're like, dude, we drink a lot of wine and we chasing the newest release and standing in line for cans and whatever. That's it's just not our game anymore. But, you know, being able as an operator to understand the importance of that for a segment of your customer, but then paying homage to the breweries that have that have paved the way. That's kind of why you'll see a very balanced list here. We want to make sure that everybody's represented. You're always going to find Belgian stuff on here. I've had the opportunity to go to the Brussels Beer Fest. Uh, my other GM, Kimberly, was able to go to the Brussels Beer Fest. I, those guys don't care about can releases. They don't care. <laughs> I was actually at one brewery, and we were going through one of their storerooms, like, and they had all these wooden, old wooden six-packs, and they had a huge pile of the cages, and they had corks and all this stuff. And I looked at the guy. I was like, man, I go, do you know how much you could sell this stuff for on eBay? And he goes... Yeah, but then what would we put in that corner? How would we decorate the corner? Yeah, yeah. he's like, they don't care. Like, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I love that. I love that it's all about the beer. Mm-hmm. That's They don't care about Yelp reviews. They don't care about anything. You know what I mean? And we've actually got some kegs in the back, super expensive, that we haven't put on because we know that if we put a still Lambic on, what's going to happen? 50% are going to get sent back because they're going to go, ooh, this is flat. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, bro, it's supposed to be. It's still one of, my, that's, that's... One, of my, one of my favorite bars in Dallas, they have 42 taps, 41 on the menu. And tap 42 is always something that uh, Eric is just like totally into and whatever. He had a Cantillon peach on once, not on the menu. You don't know it's there. You have to know to ask for it because he's like, I'm not putting that shit on the menu. First of all, everyone's going to bitch. It's $15 for a glass. Yep. All the industry people drink it out anyways. I don't have to worry about it. It sells. We have the same thing. We have two kegs. Uh, Matt Alexander, our old bar manager, and I always joke about it because we have stepped, stacked, moved those kegs. I can't tell you how many times. We have two Hanson's kegs back there, 600 bucks a piece. So if you do the math on that, even if you're not going to get a 3X, you know, you're talking 11 to $13 for a four ounce. Yeah. And, you know, you put that on and people just, ah, you're gouging, whatever. I'm like, nah. When you factor in loss and whatever and yeah. little samples here and there, I'm barely making my money back. Yeah. And, so, and you're still losing it by comparison of what the Pilsner on the other end would have exactly. made you. Yeah. So we're saving a lot of these beers and we're going to do a night in Brussels um, at our new location. We've kind of just, we're just sitting on all these kegs. So we're going to do something one night where it involves some education. You know, we'll have a nice little placemat that says, hey, it's supposed to be flat. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, but uh, nice we have stuff. a lot of cool connections uh, through our time in, in Belgium. So we're going to bring some cool stuff in and uh, have a fun night with it. And then education is a very important thing to us. You know, we don't want to be pompous and like, we know our, you know, I'm not saying that my staff knows anything more than anybody else. But we want to educate people and give them a good experience. And when they leave, they maybe learned a little something. Yeah, count me in, man. That sounds fun. Yeah, yeah I'm looking does. forward to it because me- I'm sick of moving those kegs. <laughs> I want to get rid of them. Give me a heads up. You've got a reason to fly back in. All right. So I want to get into a little more of the detail of, of what, like how you define what you're selling and what you aren't. But let's take a quick break because I think that'll be done better with a beer. And so uh, we'll come back and do that in a second. So do you ride motorcycles? Because if you do, you want the sickest gear on the planet. And SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com is the site for you. 
Break free from the pack with your kick-ass style and design that is as subtle as a sucker punch. When you're out on the open road, don't let anyone confuse you with your grandpa. Project an attitude that's all your own. With their signature style and performance, Simpson sets the standard of looking cool while providing superior comfort and protection. Authenticity counts, and there are many helmet brands out there, but there is only one Simpson. You ride a killer bike, don't you? Why settle for a boring helmet? Pick your poison at SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com. Badass riders don't settle for anything less. See for yourself on Instagram at Simpson underscore motorcycle underscore helmets. Thanks for riding with us. We'll see you out there. All right, thanks for sticking with me. Welcome back. I, like I said, want to get into one of the reasons I really want to interview is I want to know I'm a brewery owner. I want to sell here. What do I have to do? What do you pick? And and so one of the things I'm really curious about is you talked about the, the guys you can't support, right? And how do you draw the line? This is an interesting conversation for me personally. So let's let's take some examples, right? You mentioned Firestone is on the edge or on the verge. Full disclosure, that is the brewery that sort of I mean, no 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 ifs, ands, or buts. I I became a brewery owner largely because of sampling what Firestone had done and the dramatically different approach that they had to doing it. And so for me personally, they're kind of like Russian River. Like they will always be craft for me. They sell out, whatever. It might something could happen. But so so how do you define that? Like how do you decide like, okay, well, some foreign conglomerate owns 41%. So that's cool. We can sell you, but 62 and a half, we can't. Or I don't, what do you do? I'll tell you, it's, it's not a formula. It's yeah. not. We're not that smart. It's, <laughs> it's really Ryan. Ryan just doesn't care. Ryan. Ryan is a business business through and through. Of course, he gets everything. I don't want to make it sound like he's oblivious to it. Ryan's a businessman. He wants to make money, and he wants people to love aces and ales. And he's like, listen, if this is what people want. Serve it. If, yeah. Are we making money? Carrie is still like-minded, but Carrie understands both sides. Because he's he, more the artist, and so he's like, yeah. But the thing is, is he under, he's like, hey, are we making money? Blah, blah, blah. So we literally look at everything, unless it's under the Miller Coors, AB, you know, Constellation Umbrella, like the big ones. You know, if there's those borderline ones, we just have a discussion. And I can tell you, Firestone, like you said, Carrie's friends with David. You know, I've met... David was here literally the night before they signed that deal. He tried really? to cancel on the beer dinner and Carrie called him personally. He's like, David, he goes, this whole event is around you being at the beer dinner. And of course we knew nothing about what was happening. And I will never forget having a conversation. And I was telling him, man, I really wish you'd get away from, you know, the bag and ball. I'm like, yeah, I got to change the cup or whatever. And he was just kind of laughing about it or whatever. And the next day they did the $600 million deal. And I'm like, he was probably like, this stupid kid is talking to me about fucking bagging ball. I've got more shit, more important shit to be thinking about right now. Yeah. But he, he followed through with his date. He came. He did leave a little early. Flew out of the private airport and got right <laughs> out of here. Did. Yeah. But then we heard the news the next day. We're like, I can't believe he was at our spa and, you know, fulfilled his agreement and then went and did that. It was really cool. But uh, Carrie's friends with David, Dave, I mean, Firestone's going to be around. I mean, I'm with you. Firestone is fantastic. They're good people. They're great beer. You know, I would, it would be interesting to see if, like, one of the real homies, like, if they went to the dark side, supposedly, like, what we would do. I mean, yeah. he's very close with people at Sierra Nevada or if, like, one of our friends, like, like if Beachwood or somebody, and especially if they kept the team, 
Because sometimes you see, like, you know, if you've got a, a, a business and the owner operator, you know, is the brewer and then they sell and they leave, maybe it makes it easier. But, like, it would be interesting to see what we would do if, like, one of our really good friends sold. And then we'd have to make that decision. So yeah, I don't know. I can tell you this. Territory. I don't know what we would do. Right now, it's pretty simple. If it's got the little thing on it, the little independent label, we sell it. If it doesn't, we don't. But I'll tell you, we're not the type of people that are going to draw the line in the sand and say this is permanent. Like, it'd be interesting to see what happens. So, again, it comes down to the artists. I mean, it comes down to that artisan aspect. We're loyal to people. Ryan and Carrie, if, if there's one thing other than being able to argue and bust people's balls in their own special way that I learned from them, it's <laughs> loyalty. Ryan and Carrie and myself are extremely loyal. And when it comes to brands, it comes to our employees, whatever, our word, we're extremely loyal. And the big thing when we're dealing with breweries that means the most to us is the people. You know what I mean? Of course the product is important. You know what I mean? But we will do anything and we will support in any way we can for breweries that we really appreciate and we know. Well, Adam, what you're describing though is such a departure from traditional big business because it hasn't been about the people. And I'd say in the last probably six months, maybe a year through COVID where people are starting to be valued more and what you're describing is this loyalty. I mean, again, line up a bunch of business leaders, loyalty just, it's not something that's there, but it makes sense. It's a departure and that's unique for you guys. It's hard to monetize. So that's part of it. But yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. There's no price. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Walmart doesn't take loyalty checks. Yeah. Huh. Listen, if it doesn't make sense, if it doesn't make us dollars, then, you know, there's, there's that problem too. But you know, we know that the brands that we're talking about are unbelievably well-crafted brands. They've got a great name in the business. Their beer is phenomenal. And you know, that's what we're talking like yeah. they went to the to the other side it would be it would be a discussion and that's one thing we always we, we talk through things for every decision it's it's a unique place in Aces and Ales um, you know from this wall that you, that's sitting behind you every single employee has a say uh, when we do menu changes when we do pricing when we changing our POS system our employees all get a say in what's going on Carrie wants to hear from everybody and it can lengthen a process sometimes but we care about what our team we want to make a team decision and then that way if it fails we can go hey it's all your fault (laughs) (laughs) the idea was bad (laughs) but that's a big thing with us cool so um, so on the flip side i'm curious and you guys luckily don't have or unluckily i guess you could say too but self-distributing breweries but when you when you just go strictly independent and and i'm going to call them out whatever uh, Craft Pride in Austin is an example of a uh, bar that opened that only did Texas craft from the beginning. And this was kind of early, like 12, 13, maybe 14. I think it was 13 or 14. And so at the time, there were a lot of really, and there still are, a lot of really shitty Texas breweries, a lot of really, really bad beer. And so they were limited because they sort of pigeonholed them. So they absolutely pigeonholed themselves as a Texas only place. So they'd get stuff up there that just, you know, they had to clean their own lines. They had to like, manage their own inventory because these guys couldn't do that. They, they didn't have a guy to show up every Tuesday. Right. So in some ways, going strictly independent is going to make your job harder. So how do you backfill that like, as far as staff or just management style? So luckily, very, very early on, Matt and I decided we were going to take care of all that stuff ourselves. So we've been doing all the line maintenance, everything, doing all that stuff. I don't. It's very well known. Distributors are not allowed in our cooler. 
Coast. No one really? is allowed in our court. Nobody. <laughs> That's, again, so, another departure, right? But here's, yeah. the, here's the reason. As I've literally seen a distributor cleaning lines, have caustic in a 150-foot-long draw, in a trunk line, excuse me, uh, 150 feet, and draw beer on top of caustic. Hmm. I've seen it happen. And, and I've seen... In fact, one of the last really bad times when someone snuck into my cooler, we had a new bartender. They didn't know they were supposed to be here. I had a beer distributor come in that will remain nameless. <laughs> found out that they cleaned lines. So first of all, what people don't understand is if you have a, a, a scheduled two-week line cleaning, you're losing all that beer in the line. They're going to dump out all that beer. They're going to clean the line. They're going to retap it, pull the beer back through. So you're losing money just doing that. You're, you're better off investing in a $300 can little bit of caustic, a little bit of acid, just doing it all yourself. It's not that difficult, especially if you do like what we do. Everybody's involved in cleaning tap handles and you know, all sorts of stuff. And then we have, you know, bi-yearly, we have a big cleaning party, which is me listening to a podcast, ripping the cooler apart, acid washing all the lines, doing all that. But we know that our lines are clean and my guys have taken it to their respective other bars. This distributor comes in, and I came in and caught him at the very end, and I was heated already because they shouldn't have been in my cooler. And I was more mad at my employee because they let him in there. And I was like, I'm just curious. I go, how many lines did you clean? He goes, I cleaned all of our beers. And I go, really? I go, how many lines did you clean? He goes, eight. I go, well, that's funny. I go, because you have 13 beers on. <laughs> he goes, no, we don't. And I go, and I always have, I've had this argument many, many times, with many, many drivers with regards to those empties. I've said it a million times. I go, I am not perfect. I have made mistakes. I will bet you everything in your wallet. You're wrong. Nobody's ever taken me up on it. <laughs> because the thing is, is to be fair to these drivers, they don't see a lot of the, the odds and ends beers. Right. So it's not yeah. part of their normal route. So to be fair, that's why I don't, start at level nine. And there's always new shit that they don't know exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, and I'm very understanding of that. And it's only when they really want to be the tough guy attitude, then, uh, then I'll get going like that because I love it. So the guy swears up and down. So I show him his other five beers. And then I asked him because now I'm starting to question because he didn't know he missed one that he said he supposedly cleaned. Turns out he cleaned five of his own lines. He cleaned Not even three other lines that they don't even have. <laughs> so he actually missed eight beers. And I'm like, this is why you don't clean lines. And might have messed up other people's beers. Exactly. So problem. that's why we just do that ourselves. You know, it just, it makes sense as part of your question. We take that internally. We train our staff to do it like on our graveyard here. We have a, a 50 tap handle kind of laminated sheet and they just check off the handles or the faucets as they do them. Because mm -hmm. when I tap during the day, the last thing I want to do is I want to, you know, my bartenders have got gamers, they've got business. I don't want to be back there cleaning faucets and whatever. Mm -hmm. So my graveyard guys, when they've got some downtime, they clean faucets and they know they have to get all 50 done within two weeks and then they just start over again. So, so then that way our faucets are always being cleaned. Adam, here's my question then. I mean, what I'm hearing from you is a commitment to quality, right? But Big I thing. guess... As a consumer, because I'm I'm the dumb consumer who's you know sitting here on this podcast, and I'm honored to be here. What's the benefit to me that you guys are taking such care and doing that, and not relying on other people doing that? That could really be doing work for you for free. You've had beer that's in bad lines, and maybe you didn't notice it. But I can tell you this: I've been invited in all the travels that I've been able to do with Aces and Ales. I've been invited into some coolers that will literally make you sick like yeah. i've had people matt and i would joke about it all the time we couldn't believe that they allowed us in it 
and, and it was <laughs> they should have been hiding it. This. it yeah. was, now, granted, here at Tanea, ours is glass, so we have to keep it somewhat good looking. But I've gone into places that are so utterly disgusting. I have cleaned faucets or uh, helped people, or I've heard stories or seen videos of draft lines that are so disgusting. Faucets, we call it the uh, the booger. Uh, <laughs> if you don't clean a faucet for a long time, you can get this gelatinous mass of gross. snot in there. I've seen that in a lot of places. And I mean, the thing is, is it's things that we don't need the attaboy. We don't need the pat on the back. We know that we're giving the best possible experience for the guests. Whether the consumer realizes it or not, you're getting a quality product through a quality line that's been maintained properly. Yeah, it's one of those things we don't care if you know. You know what I mean? Like, it's not one of those things like we put on our website, we clean our own lines. Like, we just know that in order to ensure that all the hard work that it takes to get all this beer in, Put it all on. Right. Put it on the menu. Do this. Do that. And then you come in and spend your money. We at least know that it's going to get to you the way it's supposed to. And you're to. in control of that. Yeah. No, that's, again, I, another good reason why people come here. Well, and then there's, you know. <laughs> that's the main reason you've been here this whole time. All because of the clean lines. Right. You and I didn't about, even know it. You talk about self-distribution in California. A brewery that was very big into this, other than my friends at Beachwood, was Society Brewing. When Society mm-hmm. was really popping, it was hard to get their beer in here and into, like, small bars. They just didn't have a lot of stuff to put out. But one thing that they always guaranteed is when they went in there that their that their keg went into a cold box, that it was served in a bar that cleaned their own lines, maintained their lines. Sure. And if they found that it didn't, they didn't sell it to them anymore. And that's when you go to self-distribution. That's one thing that our local breweries don't know. They just send it away. And is that keg being properly rotated? You know, right. so many times I've gotten beer unbeknownst to the brewery that's out of code and it's because whether it wasn't rotated now granted you've been to these distributors they're massive of course there's going to be mistakes but that's one thing with self-distribution that you can kind of control is you can make sure the beer is within day that it's being stored properly that the conditions that it's being served is correct control quality control you don't have that control in a third part in a three-tier system now granted those guys can come in on their own and kind of take a look but do they, have, do they have the resources the to? Yeah, hey, that's knows? the other thing is they because they don't have the need to self distribute. They don't have those teams built, right. so they don't really have to. I've had multiple people call me though and be like, because I'll admit I can't keep up with every beer. And I've had people call me and like, dude, did you just put that on? And I'm like, yeah, I just got it. They're like, the thing's like four months old. And I had no idea. <laughs> and then of course, then I get to motherfuck somebody and be like, so yeah. bad beer. But, uh, you know, it just depends on the style. Obviously we know that as well. And especially now with COVID with the distributors cutting down, we have to do a ton of homework on our own because we don't have people selling us stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of releases that come out. I have no idea. There's too much going you, on. You have to hunt it down. So yeah. I have to ask questions because I just don't have people selling me beer every day. They're just like, Go on the online portal. And I'm like, this is what we're doing. But you like, guys still don't have reps coming back? We do because I refuse to use the online portal. Because here's the thing. If you're if you're a, a bar that just has the same tap list, the same liquor list, whatever, those online portals are great. I don't. Like, yeah. I need to know all the stuff that's yeah. coming out. And then you've got guys that are in the can business like at 595 or Beer Zombies. They've got to know about all the can releases. We don't really get involved in that. But, you know, they've, and they've got to get it in soon and quick because if they don't get it right when it releases, it's old news two weeks later. Mm-hmm. So you That's know, a PR game at that point. Yeah, almost. if you don't have people selling you, you know, letting you know when the stuff comes out, it's really annoying at times when I drop the ball and I don't do my homework and I miss out on a release 
And they're like, well, it came out two weeks ago. And I'm like, yeah, I wish you would have told me. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I would have bought it. Yeah, I've had that conversation many times and a lot lately. As a COVID. sales professional, I appreciate his appreciation for said profession. I'll bet it's, you do. Listen, yeah. they, these guys, and it's not, a lot of times, it's not the, the sales rep's fault. I nope. mean, they have 80 accounts. They're incentivized by liquor or wine. They're not incentivized by craft. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, you know, they're trying to make numbers. They're trying to make a living. So it's like, yeah, they don't know about every little tiny skew that they have in their in their portfolio. But the beer's not going to sell itself. Exactly. So let's be real. It's been a lot of beer sales uh-huh. because it's all sitting there going bad. Might it's also like, be why there's some brands yeah. that aren't in business anymore, too, at that rate. Quite a few. Yes. Yeah, this, I, I don't have a um, overarching kind of concept of what it's going to look like, but at 100 episodes or so, I plan to write sort of a summary of what we've learned and like what, what we've figured out through this podcast. I get a really bad feeling there's going to be about half of that that talks about distribution. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. And especially now with COVID, you know, a lot of breweries kind of cut back seasonals and one-offs and stuff like this. So you're really only getting their core. Yeah. So that's what we've had to call out with a lot of our friends. And we're like, okay, what are you pouring in your tap room? Give me something. Just send that to us yeah. directly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Put it on a pallet. We'll just buy it. Because they don't want to send it to the distributor. Because the distributor's just not moving that much product. So the distributor doesn't want to take all those SKUs. A lot of times they won't. Yeah, so know. we're doing custom orders, and they're just getting sent straight to us. We just did it with Pizza Port. I got, like, six different Pizza Port SKUs. That they're not in market. I just called Jill, and I was like, yo, I need some beer. And she just sent it to me. But it, the distributor's fine with that because they're like, we don't have to sell it. We're making easy money. Literally, yeah. it comes in, has it's wrapped. It says Aces and Ales, and they just go, here. There you go. I'm like, I essentially doing that I did your job, job for, for you. you. Yeah, we do that a lot. Well, it's funny you say that because in Texas over the last year, it's been the exact opposite. The breweries that have actually done the best are the ones that something new every week, damn, damn near. And it's because the consumer needs an excuse to buy again. Yep. And they have, that's the only way it's getting them to do it. And it's exhausting for all of us, including the consumer, I have to admit. But They'll never admit it. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the direction the, the, the brewing game's going in that I just don't really like and it makes me nervous in the direction we're going opening a brewery is that you can't rely on just having some great core beers you Mm -hmm. know what i mean you've got to have that something new something fancy something with glitter something slushy something with a fucking sparkler coming out of it it's just like you can't survive on just great core beer anymore because Mm -hmm. people literally I've, i've watched people you know go to california and they'll see all these beers, like say something like Pliny's on, or you know, and and they're like, "Well, I've had that before. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a chance at this whatever beer they've never heard of. They have no idea whether it's good." And I'm like, "But, but you, but you know that's good." But they might be able to get a badge for the other one, so don't forget yeah, about that. Exact, oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, no. on that that, <laughs> that thingy that I have no idea. Yeah. Do not get me started on that one. Not a big badge fan. Unless I've got the app. I use it when I have to fill in digital pour and put the information in there for new beer, but yeah. I don't check you know, beer. You don't spend at night like looking yeah. at it when you're about to go I back. did. Okay. I did. Listen, I went through that. I'm not going to say I didn't. I went through that phase and it just got tiresome. And I'm like, who am I showing this to? <laughs> like, do yeah. I really care that my seven friends know every beer I drank? I'm like, I, it's actually, it makes me feel pathetic. I'm I like, had you for a 12 friend kind of guy, to yeah. be honest with you, but... 
I am not. I am unfortunately not the social media guru. I've literally never downloaded. I have no idea to it about Twitter. Good for you. I just and then whenever this Facebook thing happens, I've said I'm done. I'm not joining the metaverse. <laughs> the only metaverses I'm going to be in is the Avenger movies. Other than that, with my kids, I'm, I'm, I won't do it. I'm just I'm I'm going to be that old person down the road that. The equivalent of I do not know how to set the time on my VCR. I'm joining you. Well, you have kids. You won't, you won't need to. No, I'll, I'll yeah. tell them to do it for me. <laughs> or Alexa can do it too, I guess. Yeah, at this point. I just, yeah. I, it's just not my thing. Like, I don't need to check in beers to prove to people that I was at a brewery or whatever. But, you know, I really do feel bad for places that have unbelievable core and they're having trouble selling it because I can't drink the same beer twice. Yeah, well, we tried flagship summer or something like that or Fe- flagship february remember like two years ago or three years ago it didn't fucking work like no one cares was that like a movement you were trying to start i didn't start it, it did somebody else did but, but it yeah. didn't take off and it was guys like you know sierra nevada oscar blues legitimately make good beer that everybody likes and they probably drink it they just don't instagram it and so it was like ah go back to drink the things you love and people i think some people did for a minute but it was probably mostly industry people who <laughs> gave a shit <laughs> dude i'm so. telling you i'm the, i'm boring like of course i love to experiment and when i go to a brewery i'll try to do stuff if I go to like a bar and especially if it's just like going for dinner and with my wife or whatever, I'm going to get something that I know or I'm going to get a brand, yeah. at least a brand, brand. that I know. You yeah, know especially at dinner, you, you want it to make sense with the food and the experience and yeah, yeah you don't want to go like off the rails and like, what the fuck did I just, what is a tangerine IPA? Like, well, yeah. I had that when I was in Texas. There was a lot of times I'd go into places and I didn't know any of the beer. Now, I'm not going to say, well, I don't know any of this beer. I'm going to go fat tire. I'm not going to go to that extreme. Yeah. But it was, you know, there was a couple times we got beers and we both looked at each other like, Meh. like yeah. that wasn't the one. I Underwhelming. Un- yeah, like, unfortunately, our scene in Texas is not fantastic, and it's been a disappointment for a lot of people. But it's, it's interesting. Weird. I'll tell you, when I was in Austin, I went to I think we went to like six or seven different either craft beer bars or breweries, and I think I saw one place with like a no. Excuse me, this is in San Antonio. One place had stouts. I went to like five or six in a row. They didn't even have a, a dark beer at all. The only stouts was uh, the guys that Fuck started that place, in Florida. It's a really good brewery. They, they had a, a bunch of Imperial Stouts. Great brewery. It was in San Antonio. But I guess the guy came from like a legendary place in Florida. You probably... Cigar City, one of those. Yeah, he was about. at one of the... It wasn't Cigar City. It was, was a it big a... place. And they're really known for their Imperial Stouts. So this was the bar, bar we went to. And my wife and I usually don't drink big beers like that when we're out. And we had them just because we hadn't seen a stout in like three days. Yeah. We're like, okay, well, we got to try these. But yeah, everybody down there was... It was all IPAs, very little lagers, very little pilsners. Mm. Just a ton of IPAs. Except for when we went to Jester King. I was like, <laughs> oh, finally... Some and then just all char- sour. Yeah, yeah it was like some beer with character. They're fun. Oh, yeah. dude, that, I'll tell you, as far as a brewery experience, one of the best, that place was awesome. It is also the reason that we're getting a goat. Oh, because, yeah. yeah. We did the whole goat thing. Did you get my, shit on by the goat while doing yoga? Oh, dude, my, we didn't do the goat <laughs> yoga, but my kids want a goat, and so does my wife, and three verse one. So apparently we're going to have a farm in our house soon. We're getting a goat and a pig. And everyone's going to take up yoga as well? No, we didn't okay. do the yoga, okay. but the goat was there. Okay. And it was very prominent. But no, it was a great experience. Unbelievable food. Oh, my yeah. God, that place was great. Jester King's one of those places that they didn't necessarily define the movement I and mean, they were early on in it, but there was a sort of movement and they just really capitalized on it and drilled it home. 
And it, as a mixed culture brewery in Texas, that was always a big issue that we were, we were no matter where we went, we were not Jester King for the first six, seven years. And then finally kind of developed our own situation. But at the end of the day, we we're always in Jester King's shadow. It sucked. Well, I like Jester King too, because I was looking at all the employees. My wife and I were laughing, by the way. Unbelievable service, nicest people, and I just happened to link up with all the right people. You know, I said it was the bases. All of a sudden, I'm talking to the this manager and that manager. But I was like, oh, they all look the same. Like there is no like you go in there like a preppy guy or whatever. Yeah, you're not getting hired at that place. So it was all stick out like a. Sword I don't even think thumb. you're supposed to shower. I know. No, like, but, <laughs> yeah. but the nicest people. But it's just like, oh, you gotta have a look to be here. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. Like. But, I mean, great people. Unbelievably great people. Great brewery experience. And that's what I tell people. I've been to a lot of breweries. Maybe the beer is just average, but their food is great. Or maybe mm-hmm. the food is terrible, the beer is great. Or just the bar itself has character. We just like character. Yeah. Like, I like to go to a place and there's something that you remember. You know what I mean? My yeah. dad always said that. He goes, when you're hungry, you, you can go out to eat. But when it's something special, you, you go to dine. You know what I mean? Like, there's something sure. that's got to make it Take your special. time, take your yeah. watch off, enjoy it. Yeah. And that's what I like about some breweries. Some breweries, you just go in, you know, have a beer, whatever, <laughs> leave. And then there's other ones you go in and it's experience. You're like, wow, this place is rad. With the uh, all the stuff that we're doing with our third location, that's the type of experience you can expect. Like, nice. it's got some elements. I'm not saying we're going to have a Ferris wheel or, you know, anything crazy. but like Or a goat. It might be a goat. Okay. I told Carrie I thought the think the goat should hang out at the bar or the, or the pig. But, or, uh, or at least but for special events. I told him. I'm like, it really <laughs> keeps people there. Yeah. But um, there's a lot of elements that are just very subtle and whatever that just give it a unique personality. And I think that's one thing that you see in Southern California, especially in some of these like cookie cutter startup things that like what White Labs is doing. They, they, they all look the same. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's been to the brewery. It's like. All metal, open ceiling, you know, the same freaking chairs. Like the warehouse district. Yeah, it's all the same. Like, I like places with character. And that was one thing that stuck in my mind, like, with Jester King. I was like, this is an experience you won't get anywhere else. You won't. So, like, Belgium. Like, every place you went into Belgium, the history, you can just, it's palatable. You can taste it. You're like, this is amazing. That's another thing, too, is our, the, you know, American craft beer scene is still young overall compared to the rest of the world. So, you give it that. And, and Jester King's entire idea was to create a legacy brand that's going to last for hundreds of years. And again, I, I was their competitor. I was living their shadows. So maybe I had a little bit of negativity towards them. But at the end of the day, they, they always made good on every promise they ever made, right? Like if you go there, there was a hype behind it. In my personal opinion, they lived up to the hype. And you can judge that however you want. And I've been to so many other breweries that had hype and were fucking terrible. Like, yeah. And I just... And I don't know why I feel like in the mood, but I'm going to call Great Notion out in Portland. People Ooh. were telling me they were amazing. And it, like, I literally could not get out of that place faster. Every beer I had was worse than the one before. But only because I don't like the you know, Milkshake IPA, which at the time, and I'm sure the lineup changes, at that time, that was everything that they did. They did I think they even had one with glitter in it. <laughs> and so for me, I was just like, why are people so excited about this? And then you go to a place like Jester King that has... It's the whole goddamn package to me, in my opinion. Yeah, I've I've been when we were up in Tahoe, Reno area. There was a very very big brewery that everybody said was a must go to. Now I didn't do my homework. Didn't realize that you couldn't have under twenty one. But mm. there's there's a way that you can deal with people right in the beginning that can save even an experience that's not going to happen. Yeah. Like I had kids, so it wasn't going to happen. Well, it can't be the first time that's happened. But. The second I went in there, 
before I even talked to somebody, I was like, this, this is what all the hype's about. I'm like, uh. and I just, and then the service just completely smashed it. And I'll tell you, I, it really changed my entire taste for that brewery. You know, you'll figure it out. Cause it's just, I, I've had a hard time even putting it on. And I was just like, I just thought the whole experience sucked. Like I, service is a big thing with me. I, Cause I've been to places that have very subpar food, subpar beer, but the service was fantastic, or the ambiance was fantastic, yeah. or whatever. All those elements, I think, are really important. Yeah, of course, you always should have the best quality beer, but you can hide some mistakes with when you if you excel in the other areas. But I'll tell you, man, if I go into a place and I get bad service, it's over. I don't care how good your shit is. In fairness, we're in Vegas, too, and service is king here, right? This is a service town. Yeah. I literally it's, thought you were going to make a prostitution reference. But right I didn't for yeah, one I don't time. Know. And unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't just but, one time. But it's not, I'll tell you, service though, it's, it's not rocket science. It's not. It's not hard just to be nice to someone. It shouldn't be, but for some people it I'll is. I'll tell you, right? we were up in Russian River, first time I'd ever gone. I didn't know what to expect. Like I said, I'm not this old school, like I don't know everything about every brewery and you know, I haven't yeah. been to a bunch of places. So I went into Russian River and I was like, wow, this place is super small. I'm like, Down, I just, the downtown one. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is before Santa Rosa. Yeah, this is a, this is before the new one opened. And I went in and I was like, and Aces and Ales actually took a lot of elements from there, like uh, just different little things that they yeah. copied from there. It was one of the things that they paid homage to. But I went in there and I can tell you, we went there three days in a row because we were staying right there, and the service was great every single time. They were cranking busy. But they took time to answer your Well, they questions. had a system around being busy, too. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, but they, they took the time lines. to answer your questions. And they, they didn't look down on you if you were excited. I had a buddy with me that was so excited to buy cases of beer. Yeah. Trust me, I brought a ton of beer home. And it was funny because the one guy goes, uh, you know, you probably shouldn't leave this in the back of your car, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you should drink it by the... I'm like, bro, I'm like, I run a craft beer bar. And I'm like, and this isn't all for me. I'm literally, it's going right to friends and whatever. Goes, I'm selling oh, okay. on the internet. But he was nice enough to <laughs> not be Tomorrow. a jerk. Yeah, he was yeah. nice enough not to be a jerk. Yeah. But still say, hey, man, maybe you shouldn't leave this in this 80-degree car all day and then keep it for five months. Which probably happens all the time. And they get people saying something back, saying, oh, your beer's fucking gross. Wow, I had right. it there. I got it. So, I'm, in their defense, they need to tell you that. But, I mean, crank and busy and to still give great service that's it's it's good to see and then you know we've we've had some some incidents around town of late talking about service and it's just i mean you got to be on your game at all times and it's unfortunate you can't make sure that all of your staff is on point all the time and you got to own it when they're not yeah but you can't just say that we're on point all the time because nobody is no so you take those critiques listen i hate yelp i hate yelp more than pretty much anything in this business same here and yeah, but I you agree. know what we have we take every yelp review seriously we read them all we know when they're bs like, you can just read through it but when someone writes you an eight paragraph thing something in there is probably true right like nobody has that much free time they're like i got an idea that experience was fantastic i'm gonna write eight pages eight paragraphs of how much it sucked with all these specifics just to get a coupon maybe well we take all those reviews as much as i hate people to do it uh, not not you listening me but we do look at those because we're always learning you know what i mean we've got to own our mistakes i i have stood up and said hey we'll take that one on the chin let's get better we talk about it as a team and we get better yeah but people that just blind faith like that didn't happen and they're always awesome no they're not <laughs> 
everybody screws up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Somebody, just because 16 people in a row had a great experience, just because somebody didn't have a good experience doesn't mean that they're making it up or whatever. Like, you've got to own it and you got to say, okay, what did we do? Where did we miss the ball with that person? Because everybody else had a great time, but where did we miss the ball? So we don't next yeah. time. And that's what's it's a little disheartening, you know, when people just can't kind of own it. Paul and I originally met when uh, in, in our previous career when we used to own fitness centers. And one of the things we would teach in the fitness thing was you, you get a good customer service experience with something that went wrong. You almost can't ever get that takeaway beautiful experience unless someone comes to you with a complaint that you then either fix or empathic sure. about and then somehow build that relationship. If somebody says, hey, you did a good job and you give them a high five, there's no relationship there. Like that just happened. You know, it's. Well, I mean, it's, I mean you hear, I mean, this is. In, our, in all of my schooling, you know, if you have a great experience somewhere, you tell a couple people. If you have a bad experience somewhere, you tell everybody. everyone. So, you know, yeah. that's, we, uh, the one thing I stress to my team, and I, and I mean, I'll never stop, is, guys, it's easier to deal with the problem before they walk out the door. Now, we've had Yelp reviews happen while they're sitting here. <laughs> Like, they're still literally here, wow. and I've already got Just Carrie. Type, and they're, like, angrily typing and, it. And yeah. somehow, with Carrie's busy schedule, whenever that terrible Yelp review comes in, he has got it on his phone immediately, and it's coming to us. And, and I'm like, how did – I'm like, I'm literally still dealing with this problem, and he's already seen it, commented it, and, like, sent me the email. <laughs> But, you know, I always tell and the staff... And giving them a free $2 coupon. Right? Yeah, I've already... I've told the staff... <laughs> Which like, they're guys, trying to apply to that bill. Yeah, I'm <laughs> right like, there. we can deal with them. It's so much easier to deal with them in person because nine times out of ten they can see that you actually care. Yeah. You know, I was dealing with a problem when you guys walked in. And, you know, well, I'll take it all the time. I don't, I don't put my staff... You know, I won't ship them up the river like, oh, it's the kitchen's fault, whatever. I have lied so many times about <laughs> dropping something myself or doing this or doing that to kind of yeah. cover for a mistake. But it's just like, you know, we're in this together as a team. We're going to, the only way we're all going to make money is by all of us kind of being on the same page. So we really take guest service very seriously. Yeah. And no, like I said, that. we're not perfect, but we, we try every day to make sure that when people leave, like, yeah, that was fun. That was a good time. I'll yeah. come back. Like Ryan, Ryan's the key. He, you know, we'll get, we have gaming bartenders, which we explain, and you know they always talk about bringing in a following, and they're going to do this and to do that. And Ryan, the one owner, says your promotion and your following starts by winning every single customer that we already have, and every single customer that walks in the door. If you just do that, that's you'll enough. be busy all the time. That's enough promotion. All we need. Yeah, yeah. just you're right. Just win every customer that comes in. You know what I mean? Yeah, it takes effort. Start there. Yeah. Well, so one of the fun things that I've had experience with, and if you get a chance. Have this conversation. It'll be fun with uh, Ryan and the other guys. When I was researching Yelp reviews for different parts of this podcast, and one of them specifically was with Witchcraft in Austin, and I came across, and all of a sudden, I had this epiphany that it's really fun to read Yelp reviews and try to figure out what happened in their childhood that made them so fucked up that they wrote it. <laughs> it super fun pastime, which we're not going to talk about now because it it'll blow an entire uh, segment but let's take a quick break we're going to come back and uh, do some very important questions for you when we get back remember when the phone company used to print all the phone numbers on the internet and send it to your house in a book large enough to knock somebody out well that's how i feel about fermenting beer in closed tanks without acubrew the industry can be better by being digital acubrew is simple to install simple to use and one of those how the hell did we ever get along without it products for less than a case of beer you get real-time fermentation feedback on your current gravity temperature, and clarity. If anything is slowing down or just simply out of the range you set for your recipes, it'll alert you, your brewer, and whoever else gets paid to fix it. 
Making better beer in 2023 is not an option. Install AccuBrew as soon as you possibly can, check improving beer quality off your list, and get back to figuring out how to be profitable in this industry. Well, welcome back. As is becoming a theme in these podcast episodes, I'm having a really hard time fitting all of this conversation into my hour and a half long form format. Because you're having too much fun. Uh, it's part of it. It's, it's that, and, and I am selective on uh, people I interview, it seems like. So, so far, I have a rule. I'd I don't interview assholes who made shitty product and ugly packaging, and that extends to the retailers as well. So, if you're a moron who has an ugly building that puts shitty beer on draft, there's really no conversation there. It uh, would end fairly quickly. So, the, the fact that you guys have a badass place helps a lot. So, I appreciate not only the beer, but the, uh, the ambiance and the atmosphere you've shared with us today. Appreciate it. Yeah. So... We're actually really good at getting off on tangents, which I love. Uh, I don't have a format, but I have questions I want to not get out of here without asking you. Again, one of the points of the podcast is to, you know, Joe Brewer or, or Sally Mashpaddle that's going to open up a new facility wants to know how to make a relationship here. You talked how loyalty and relationship was important and probably, if not the most important thing. What does that mean? And I'll just preface that. And so in Texas, a lot of times that means that you are always at the end of the bar buying beer, buying beer for other people, you know, giving pint glasses, hats, whatever that is. It, it's less about being friends than it is about a transactional thing, um, which isn't wrong, but that I'm just curious if that's – what do they need to do to get in your good graces? It sounds like that's not what it is, but – I mean, first and foremost, the beer's got to be – I mean, that's the big thing. So once we've established that the beer is good, it's consistent. After that, with us, it's a lot about just follow through. One thing you see in a lot of breweries is, is very poor communication. I can't tell you how many places, local and outside of Las Vegas, that I'll email, phone call, text message, and they don't respond. And in our company, if you receive an email before noon, it needs to be responded to by the end of the day. If you re- receive an email after 12, it needs to be responded to in the morning. We will respond to you 100%. It is a company policy. And so many times I've done invitations to like local events here or whatever, and you basically have to beg them to talk <laughs> to you. And I'm like, I thought I was the customer. So communication follow through obviously a quality product but when you talk about support support is so many different ways we deal with a lot of southern california breweries so it's actually illegal for them to provide you with pint glasses or to spend money or to even promote their event on their social media at all like they cannot like so when we just did this modern times thing or when we work with pizza port we do a lot with those guys they can't put it on their own social media even though like somebody like jill davidson has a ton of friends and here in las vegas she can't promote her, an event. It's illegal in California to On her do that. personal. Right. On her personal. It's illegal. They also can't provide you with free goods. Uh, Modern Times was just here, and it's very rare that we'll charge for a, a brewery's glass. Mm-hmm. But in this last Modern Times event, we actually put it as part of a package because we had to pay for them, which usually if we get glassware, we just give it away. Yeah. I'm not going to jam someone for a dollar. You know, they get a dollar, a yeah. dollar glass. But like when we pay for it, we kind of sometimes yeah, we get have our to. money back. Right. I mean, yeah, you can do a loss later, but we were already getting smoked on the beer. It was expensive. Great beer. Very expensive. So we understand that like a lot of brands have those limitations. They can't quote unquote play ball. You know what I mean? They can't do keg deals and give us free. You know, there's a wide variety of things that happen in Vegas that doesn't that don't happen in other markets. But, you know, for us, the big, big thing, yeah, of course, we love to see them physically in-house supporting. But 
you know the beer crowd. Like, it, you don't have to give away a surfboard or a trip or this or that. If you just come with some koozies and some stickers, maybe a glass, you know, little things like that and share the wealth and go around to some tables. I love when breweries come in. Um, they've got stickers. They've got a little tchotchke that they hand out. They buy, you know, a round of beers and hand it out or samples. That's one thing we'll do is we'll give them a big tray. They'll say, hey, run me for like six drafts and then just put it in the four-ounce glasses. And they'll go around like, hey, have you ever tried XYZ Brewery? Boop, 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 put it out. Those little things, but it's just presence. I tell distributors and brewery or beer salespeople, like, I tell them one thing. I go, if I don't know, I can't buy it. If you show up, <laughs> Literally, if you just show up, there is a 90% chance I'm going to buy beer. And like, they'll come in and they'll be like, man, you know, you just bought seven kegs, you know, this release coming up and committed to this and that. I'm like, yeah, bro, because I haven't seen you in four months. And I'm sorry, but when I don't get pitched beer, I'm just going to revert back to the beers that I like. We talked about that though, with like the whole sales presence, right? The beer's not going to sell itself and you're getting hit from so many different angles. Part of why... So many people maybe shouldn't start a damn brewery, right? Yeah, but at, nah. that, but at that rate, who's in front of people? Because let me tell you something. If your brewery's not in front of somebody like Adam, somebody else's is, right? And that's where well, it handles Yeah, your there's brew. too damn many of them. And that's the biggest issue we run into everywhere. Is, uh, and I mentioned this on an earlier episode, but even during the pandemic, the worst economic situation for businesses in probably the last 50 years at least, we added 400 breweries in the United States. Yeah. You can't put that on paper and make that make sense. There's no way that there's a spreadsheet that makes that no make any else viable grew, sense. Well, but breweries did. Yeah. In fact, one of the names, and I'll read it verbatim, one of the names that I gave you to talk to here locally, I asked him, I said, hey, did that guy reach out to you? And said, no, that he hadn't, blah, blah, blah. He said, how not to open a brewery, question mark. Who knows anymore? Seems like the biggest dummy survived just fine. <laughs> so, like, there's no, rhyme, there's no rhyme or reason. You know what yeah. I mean? But... I think the one thing, if you want to like, if you want to talk about like, say, local, you know, I have a good relationship with a lot of breweries and it's just because I've known the people for a long time and whether I'm just friendly with them or we're actually friends, but some of the newer ones, I don't know as well. And I'll admit 100% and it's on me. I don't get out as much anymore. I've got some teenage kids. I've got my wife. I've got a full workload here. I've got my other business. I make a lot of stuff at home um i just don't get out a lot and i think that if they just kind of popped in and here's the thing like i'll be between two locations soon to be between three if i if you make an appointment with me i'll be here and if you just text me and say hey man i'd love to take five minutes with you show you a couple beers can you be there thursday at two o'clock i'll be here you know what i mean it's just like but like they i we get so many people to just show up it's like, dude, I don't live here. Like, you know, like I'm not going to be here on a, you know, a Tuesday, you know, at 7 p.m. or whatever. And, they, and to be fair, they don't know that. But if you just hit me up, I'll be here whenever. And I think just having that presence, I think for us, especially the smaller breweries, just always kind of be that gnat. Just always be nice and be somebody you want to meet with. Like, because there's some people that I'll just dodge because I just don't want to meet with them because they're just yeah. annoying. But there's so many local breweries and they have great reps and they're like, if they ask me to meet up with them and talk to them, I will bend over backwards to do it. You know what I mean? But I think it's just presence. Being present. I don't think it always needs to be free goods or this or that. It's just being present and doing a small thing when you're in someone else's establishment that, A, benefits the establishment, 
but also benefits the guests because that guest leaves and they got a service that we didn't provide. And they're like, dude, it was cool. I was at Aces and like they brought over like three samples. The guy gave me a free can of beer. I got a koozie, a sticker. We all know how much that costs. It's the little yeah. things. It's the little but things. But that could just make a lifetime supporter. For you and, and the brewery. It's not, again, it's not rocket science. No. It's not rocket science, just presence. Yeah. And that's one thing I'm noticing a lot since COVID is lack of it. And to be fair, a lot of places just don't, they, they've cut down staff. You know, people are multitasking. There's a lot of places to get out to. My schedule is different. Maybe we miss each other. So it's not all on them. I'm not saying that they're doing a terrible job. It's just presence but the highlight product what i'm seeing here is that now more than ever a sales presence whether it be a salesperson or the actual brewer or the proprietor of the brewery is more important now than ever than it ever was right yeah well especially when no one else is doing it obviously if there's a vacuum someone's got to fill it but what you run into too is that so the flip side of that is that in general most sales reps for breweries they don't even make 40 grand a year so trying to say salesperson might be a bit of a stretch or a euphemism at best but it's more like a brand ambassador, the, the right? Dude. So what you should be doing is going around and just what you used to call giving hand jobs to people. It's just, it's just making people happy. I, I would never that. say that. I would have said <laughs> handshakes and kissing babies. I would have sure. never said that. Well, I'll tell you, that's, I think that's a big misnomer in this business too is people don't understand how little everyone makes. Yeah. In the, especially Carrie says it best. He goes, there aren't a lot of brewers driving Lamborghinis. Nope. He goes, you know what I mean? Like, you do it because it's a passion and you love it. I think people would be shocked to know how much, how little brewers make and at elite levels. Mm -hmm. And because Carrie owns a part of a brewery uh, or used to own a part of a big brewery in Southern California, he's very tight with all the stone guys. He's tight with a lot of different breweries. He knows what the different pay levels are at. You would be shocked to find out how little they make. Well, Kelly and I used to always talk about so the RBO. So the rep is going to make <laughs> even far less. Yeah. No, so, it's funny. When you own a place or when you run a place, even everybody, oh, that's a rich business owner. You're just inherently rich. You're just rich. You own or you're part of it? You're rich. Yeah. No, not even close. It's not true. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. So one of the mistakes that I made early on was uh, in the very beginning from the when we started the brewery, we decided we were going to go straight to distribution. And, and we... We at the time had the self-distribution option, but obviously you had to, you know, buy trucks, you had to and hire people, and so we went straight distributor, which I think is a massive mistake for us. Clearly in uh, Nevada, they don't have a choice, but you work with what six distributors? Um, yeah, there's like six, seven. There's like a small one that's just kind of peeking up, but there's like f- four elite. Yeah, and then there's like two smaller boutique houses. So, and this is something that I didn't realize when I was thinking about it. Obviously, for us, it sucks. You're in a, we'll take Benny Keith, for example. And I think they, at one point, had 350 brands. So, as a, when we were doing guest beer, fantastic. I could, I could literally just call Brian and be like, dude, I need beer. And he could pretty much hand my whole portfolio from imports to domestics and whatever. But in Nevada, they also compete in the portfolio with spirits. Right. Is that a big, so that's. And there's no money in craft beer to be able to compete with the promotional stuff that Spirits can do. So the two biggest houses that have a majority of the big, big, big brands, it's massive wine and spirit houses. So yeah, yeah, their reps are, that's what they're incentivized on. They're not incentivized on Oddball Brewery XYZ. They're incentivized on Tito's, Jack Daniels, Crown Royal, this wine, you know, Rodney Strong. Way more money in that. Naomi. 
and then and then you got to think about you know if you think about how many skews are like in craft beer, think about how many more skews are in in all the liquor brands, all the different wine brands, and then you got to add in waters, NA drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many mixers and this and that. I mean, they they're selling these huge books, and then so when you ask them, you know, a lot of the houses do have beer craft beer specific specialists but they're overwhelmed you know they're they're spinning right they're spinning so many plates and doing so many different things they're not like going out and meeting with just me you know what i mean now granted i'm lucky enough that i know them all and they're like my friends so i can just call them but that's not that's not the case for every like independent you know small craft beer bar they don't have that relationship they haven't built it yet so it's very hard for them to get and see what everything that's available but no, the distribution thing is 100% true. That's why with our brewery, uh, Carrie was, has done painstaking work to calculate the brewery size that we went with was intended on how much can we personally go through between the three locations because mm-hmm. we want a 90% usage rate um, between our three locations and then that remaining left stuff we can sprinkle out. Whether that's in our own market or whether we choose to like send it to California, yeah. You know I mean, that's the other thing is, is with you know nearly fifteen years of relationships, we've got a lot of people that hopefully, as long as the beer is good, which it should be, will buy our beer. You know what I mean? So whether we choose to keep Nevada as or Southern Nevada as you know, if you want it, you got to come see us, and then we try to get the name out by sending it elsewhere. I don't know what that ultimate decision is going to be, but our brewery size was developed for almost the almost everything to be consumed by us because there is no money. The, the money is just not there. That's the other thing people don't understand. There's not a lot of money in distro mm-hmm. making 40, 50 bucks a keg. You know what I mean? I just listened to your podcast about the can prices. You know what I mean? The guy's like, yeah, it used to be nine cents and then now it's 17 and then you got to charge for this and you got to charge for that. And like, you're not making any money. Yeah, there's no one's getting rich anymore. And then, I don't think you're anybody, not even breaking even. <laughs> I don't think people understand how much canning lines cost. Like even yeah. you know, then you get mobile canning, so now you're just eating up that side of the profit because you're paying for them. But to pull off that check of 150, 200 thousand dollars for a canning line bottle and whatever, you know what I mean? It's like good luck. They and don't. Then, and then it made. We literally had a six head bottle filler and label or combo. Fantastic mahini. I liked it. It was great. But there was never a three-week period that I did not have to order a part for that thing. Oh, ever. Porter, Porter at Smog City, <laughs> we went through their bottle and canning line, and he was like, there's literally one. It, first of all, everything was in a different language. He goes, there's <laughs> one person that knows how to work it all the way through. He goes, if he leaves, he goes, we are oh, sure. screwed. Yeah. <laughs> like... But like he, yeah, no, I'm available for consulting on how to run a Mahin six head filler. By the way, <laughs> yeah, like he, shameless plug. <laughs> yeah, right. But as I've watched their growth, because we started with that distribute helping with Smog City or partnering with Smog City since their beginning, almost to watch places like them in modern times. Porter's been very, very transparent with like how much stuff costs. Because I always ask, yeah, I'm like, how much does that cost? And like for him to tell me, like they built this whole cooler. And they've got the fooders in there and the barrels and this and that. And I'm like, how much do the racks cost? You know what I mean? I'm like, I, like, I ask about the weird stuff. And he's like, dude, that's like 15 G's. That's, you know, we bought, we bought a container of kegs. It was like $90,000 and this and that. And I'm just like, holy shit. And I'm like, how long does that take to pay off? He goes, we're running full tilt. 
should take two months. But you got to run full tilt. <laughs> right. And with no dips. And with any little dip. That's what I'm saying. That's what he's saying. Like, you have to run full tilt, but then COVID happens. And you know as well as I do, there's so many. Unfortunately, there's so many breweries, so many bars, so many restaurants. They're not really open. No. They're open, but they're dead. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, there's no way they're going to come out of it. You know what I mean? When that that little stipend and this helps, they, they've, they've buried themselves so much. That uh, that's sort of that's what's unfortunate about this. Is we're going to see a lot of the friends. I hope they are able to s- sneak out of it. I don't want to be the negative Nancy. Well, then well, I think we talked about this on at least one other episode. But at the end of the day, like the, the industry does need a correction. Like I've even even crypto comes down. Like everything goes up for a while, but we have seen nothing but growth for a decade. Yeah, it's unsustainable, and so it sucks because it's, it's people's livelihoods, and it's you know some kids not going to be able to play club soccer and. And, and that's a real thing. I would hurt me as, as it did. <laughs> I sold my brewery to loss. The reality is we got to have a correction. And, and I, it would have happened two years ago. And I absolutely, it will be March 2022 is when it will begin. And next year is going to be a fucking bloodbath. But I, I think at the end of the day, the good guys will, I'm sorry, some of the good guys will stay on top. Some of the hype guys are still going to maintain their thing. But the guys making good beers will find a new job. Like the consolidation will be better for the industry and it will make everybody stronger. It's just going to suck for a little while what happens. I think the biggest cut you're going to see is in the mid-tier breweries. Yeah. The, the mid-tier, and that's what people don't understand, the mid-tier breweries are the ones that are too big to be able to sustain their properties on in, in-house beer sales. Mm-hmm. They need distro, but their beer isn't strong enough to hold up and get placement at Smith's and, or whatever your local grocery right. store. So the megas... They're okay. They've got their sh- stuff figured out. They can do whatever. And they've got CFOs that and can figure small, financing yeah, out. And yeah. the small level ones, because they can make their nut on just selling it over the over counter. the counter. But I think that that's, that's why our business model, even though it started pre-COVID, is I, I still have 100% faith is because we are basically saying, you know, if we have to leave a tank or two empty, if sales go down, then so be it. But we're basically saying we're going to build a brewery that we know we can sell the majority of the stuff ourselves. Because, listen, people aren't going to stop drinking alcohol. Pricing is going to get weird. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think people are going to have to pay more money for beer. And just like in one of your previous podcasts, the guy said, like, when you look at the case equivalent to a big beer that you can get for twenty nine ninety nine, a 36-pack mm-hmm. or whatever it is, and then you look at a craft beer and it's $48 for a 24-pack, and the guy's like, like, you know, I got 30 bucks to spend on beer. Where's he going to go? Right. You know what I mean? There's so no more. people have got to understand that everything's going up and they're going to, if they want to support craft and they want to support local, unfortunately, they're going to have to pay a little bit more money. Because yeah, it's going to be a get, tough sell. We don't get all those benefits. You don't get the benefits of buying, you know, bulk grain and bulk this and, you know, having year long contracts and whatever. Like, you know, you see it in the restaurant business with chicken wings. That's the big one. I loved it. I saw uh, one of the one of my partners sent me and said, "Chicken wings market price." <laughs> I mean, you can't. You like, no, but the thighs are the new. Yeah, like you can't get chicken wings, and but it's like you know these big breweries have huge contracts. You know, they're going to get their stuff, but the little Joe is like fighting for scraps. Yeah, and that and that obviously makes their stuff more expensive. Well, it's an interesting argument, and I did not go look up the article, but someone had explained to me how recently Uber's prices just skyrocketed. And part of the reason was that as they were being funded by investors who were willing to lose money forever, and then they finally tried to write a business model that had to be profitable, all of a sudden, eight bucks to drive across town wasn't viable. And so they had to jack the prices. And I think that craft beer has a little bit of that. We've had 
so much free money. It's been so cool to own a brewery that every rich white asshole wants to be part of it, even if it doesn't return a dollar because he can sit at the bar and be like, I'm the owner, lady. Look at me. And that dries up. And when it does, it's going to hit hard. Yeah, I'm, it's going to be sad because people that you respect and you like and whatever, they're going to be out of a job. Yeah. You know, whether they're it's their business or they work for the business. And, you know, we just – but it really does go back. It's very simple, really simple. Brew a consistent, good product, give great service, and stay within your means. You know what I mean? I think some places try to grow too fast. You know what I mean? And it just – everything gets out of whack. Now you're trying to go too big too quick. You get inconsistencies in product. You get inconsistencies in service. That I think that if you just really focus in, there's, I mean, our country was based on, you know, very, the first couple jobs that you can get, prostitution, which we got here, <laughs> but the bar business was right there, right there you know what I mean? Like, the it's always bars, a fallback. Yeah. bars are never going anywhere, you know what I mean? But you've just got to, you've got to be better than the guy down the street. Yeah. And it's not that hard. Just give good service. And it includes, like you said, the relationship too, right? I mean, that really speaks volumes. I, I've, that's been really my big takeaway. Yeah, awesome. it's 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 actually it's called giving a shit. Yeah, you know it's what funny I mean? what happens when you give a shit. Yeah, maybe like, two. Yeah, it's it's and if you've got a and you build a team around you that kind of the majority of the time gives a shit as much as you do and you'll yeah. be fine. You know what I mean? It doesn't like you can't you can't. There's nothing that can compare to just good service. I mean, I have had subpar meals, subpar restaurants, subpar drinks. And had that great bubbly server or that cool guy with the story. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I'll come back. Yeah. Like everything I'll give else, another shot. Everything else sucked. It's still fun. Right? But that guy was cool. Like, yeah. That, guy, that, that story was funny. It was I'll memorable. It was memorable. Now listen, if you keep going with all those other things being negative, Runs you, out. Can, you can only get that get away on service so many times. But, you know, just again, that's why we care so much about our food. You know, yeah, being all scratch is actually not cost effective at all all the yeah. time <laughs> it's, it's surprising but uh it's but it, you can see it you, yeah, you can mean? taste you can, it you can taste it you can see it and we think it makes a difference yeah that's a dra- dramatic difference in the total flavor in my opinion like, you can totally tell yeah if, if everything that comes in here is from the cisco truck you, you can always tell yeah i mean so. it all does come from u.s foods or whatever but we put it all together but man if we let carrie have his way, holy cow! <laughs> we gotta reel, we gotta reel him in sometimes. But he has, I mean, without somebody like that with that huge vision, you know what I mean? Like we've got to kind of hone him in sometimes. But he just puts so many options out there. It's like, hey, I want to work through all of these. Yeah. And that's the thing is having an owner that's that that's a, now a partner that that's that involved and cares that much. It comes through. Because we're motivated by it. You know what I mean? Because he cares so much. He's not just like, "Eh, just throw the frozen tenders in there and do this, whatever. He's constantly sending us pictures and food ideas. So our chef has that passion behind him because he's like, even though it can get annoying and and it can get a lot, he but he's like he does, cares. Does the chef yeah. just like Google search stuff and screenshot it back to him, or is he? No, we uh, <laughs> we we all look at each other when we get this huge list and go, "Well, that ain't gonna work." <laughs> but then we but then we pick some out, and it, I'm telling you, every time there's great ideas. He throws this much at you know arms wide. He throws this much at us, and then but he's he only really wants a couple items yeah, to work. Funnels down. Yeah, so we do all the tastings and whatever. And man, if you come on the right day when Carrie's in town, you can get a 
like three meals because he's going to send over samples to everybody. He's like, just take it over to those guys and see what they think. Wow. Because we care about what people think. What a command. So, yeah, it's you get motivated. It is. It can be a lot of work, but you're. But in, in the other way, you're like, wow, he cares this much. So yeah. if I'm going to earn my paycheck, I got to care too. <laughs> you better yeah. get on that. Yeah. yeah. Or else it's just not the place for you. I mean, we've had people that are just not for them. And it's like, see you. There's other places. There are other jobs. Plenty of them. We won't name any of them. No. Yeah. Some lightning round questions for you. What's your number one regret in life so far? There is definitely relationships, professional <laughs> and personal, that were a, a, a person that I am not anymore. That I wish I could go back and change those. Hmm. I've definitely let my attitude and ego affect some relationships that will never be the same and as you grow you're able to look back and go yeah you're a dick congrats though i mean that's the first part of of getting that different right yeah you and i haven't been there yet so hopefully he's the ghost of maybe this weekend we get to that i don't know right every year i try to work on being a little bit better at what i do and that's always involves my personal relationships kudos professionally and personally yeah. That's awesome. So, is there a mistake that uh, we didn't talk about that you've seen breweries make, and they've whether it's been in here or you saw it online or you got to put it in your mouth or had to put it in your mouth in some terrible situation? Like, what's a mistake we didn't talk about? I think that it was said best. It was a, a distributor that doesn't exist anymore, and he was talking about uh, there was a brewery we had like a flavored goza on, and he <laughs> goes, he and he's he's a he's a foreign gentleman, and he goes. Why don't you learn to make the goza the right way? He goes, then add the pineapple and the bullshit into it. But he's like, make a good beer. Start with that. Start with just making some good beers instead of making 55,000 beers and just throwing them at the wall and hope they stick. I think that that's one thing that we're seeing way too much follow the trend and make people happy and Mm -hmm. a lot less, hey, is this the best thing we can put out every single time? Or are we just chasing? Are we going to put marshmallow and this and that, whatever? Like <laughs> they, the answer is yes, they are. Yeah, um. <laughs> without even saying, do we just brew a good beer to start with? You know what I mean? And are so, we masking yeah. it with marshmallows? Yeah, it's just like you know, keep it simple. Well, some of that's the consumer's fault, and they do yes. have to. They have to take responsibility for the part that they've played in this. But at the end of the day, obviously, the brewery's the one that did it. But if you listen to the podcast, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and, and use Martin Nass's example because everybody thinks I hate him anyways. It's fine, but we don't. They're no, I don't hate him. Okay, I don't they're, hate anybody. They're one that they released uh, years ago. I mean, it was like four or five years ago that they had made a commitment to do 52 beers in a year, and then have basically made those same beers and then other beers and very. I thought I have no fucking clue how many a year they do now, but at the end of the day. What they did is economically viable, and they are one of the most popular and well-known breweries in Texas, if not outside, but there's no fucking way that you can make 52 beers perfectly. And, and I always used to tell people with mine, and we made you know mixed culture seasonal releases, but with my beers, you really should settle in about blend six, because that's when I figured it out. It's It usually took me about six times to hit it where I was truly proud of it, and I would have shared it with anyone. Um, and at the end, I would have shared that beer with people all over the country. I didn't get the chance to because we ended up selling the brewery. But I just think that's one of those things that you can't get good unless you keep making the same product. And this whole like make a variant and move on thing, uh, it, it sucks. It's it's not sustainable in my opinion. But no. What would you say to a girl considering opening a brewery? She walks in and says, man, I'm totally into this. I'm excited. I'm opening a brewery in six months. 
I know you're a nicer person now, so you probably won't be totally honest with her, but what do you want to say to her? Let's say that. So you don't want to make money and you don't <laughs> want to have a life. You you hate money and freedom? Yeah. You want to be married <laughs> to a building and a, and a culture that is can be very mean, negative, and uninformed. And that's who you have to service every day with a smile. Congratulations. Have fun. You like being poor. Mm. It's the same conversation I have to say to someone that wants to be a teacher. Yeah. I'm like, oh, so you <laughs> want to have a job that pays you nothing, that's actually very important, and everybody hates you every day. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, honestly, I say that because my mom's a teacher, so she'll be soon. Same here. But, uh, yeah. No. Um, it's, it's just, it's a tough business, man. Like, I think people get into it because they like hanging out in a bar or brewery, and they think, well, it's going to be fun. It's... That part is so little. Like, you know what I mean? The fun part, like, you know from being a brewery, what do you do 90% of the time? Clean. You know what I mean? It's yeah. cleaning and Sounds cleaning. Sounds like owning a gym, fun. too. It's not like it's not always that, oh, I'm putting in the hops. It's cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. Phone calls, emails, paying bills, and just hoping money's coming back. Oh, I've got probably 10 cases of my beer in my cellar. This is stuff I've, like, taken over the years and want to make sure I had. Because over the last six years, I did not drink my beer at home. I just, for me, part of it too was like I couldn't ever drink it and not work. At some point, I was like, you know what? We did 2.7 pounds of raspberries. This would have been better if we had done 2.9, I think. Because the tannins would have hit. The jamminess would have been a little bit higher. And then the the acidity of this one, I couldn't do, I couldn't stop. And I, that was miserable. I wanted to drink beer and not think about it. So I had to drink somebody else's. So. So that's uh, when we had the Firestone event, we were talking about vintage beer. He kind of gave us a kudos because he had looked at our beer list before they came. And he's like, man, we just don't see people that are paying homage to, you know, to diverse breweries like you guys are. He goes, and certainly not cellaring beer because, you know, just nobody's doing that. I mean, we have a huge cooler out here with way too much beer in it. And it used to be double way too much beer. Yeah, we'll go out there next. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's like, you know, he goes, unfortunately, that's going by the wayside. People aren't appreciating the vintage. And he, and we spoke about everyone that was has been in this kind of thing for 10 years or so. Everyone's full closet or mm-hmm. coolers and nobody wants to drink it. And he goes, he goes, either you just don't want to drink that beer anymore, or he goes, you've gotten to the so jaded that when you drink it, all you're going to do is pick out what's wrong with it. Yeah, you can't appreciate the $27 bottle yeah, anymore. It's just like, yeah. it's not, it's like you don't get that group of people together that are like super stoked to open a vertical of brewery beer. You know what I mean? And like, oh, we're going to open seven beers that are 19.5%. This is going to be fun. Right, this will end well. I would agree with him overall, except for one. I would absolutely get a little bit of like a mild chubby opening up an anniversary ale from Firestone. Mm-hmm. All of those are fantastic. The story's great. Can we get our hands Older on the one? better. Now, they have yeah. a few out there. But I think you probably have them. Yeah. Yeah. You probably have do have them. them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, anyways, I think that's one ex- exception to that example, but absolutely I agree with that. We did a vertical, an 11-year vertical for my birthday. So, we did 14 to whatever current was at the time. 14 was starting to fall off. My friends had just done the full vertical 10 and up. Really? And they said 10 and 11 were basically trash. Yeah. And that's what I'm worried about. I, I know that I have bottles in my in my cellar that I'm like, fuck. That was a waste. You know, there's only two of us and we're just like, dude, are we going to open up this thing? We're going to get after it. But we've, we've kind of, we've, we've made a point because we just don't drink as much anymore. We're like, once a week, we're just going to open a beer. Yeah, we're, what's just going start, we're just going to start getting through it. So, I mean, I should have them gone in like seven years or so. 
Later, fifty-two beers a year. If you're lucky, don't go on vacation. Yeah, three, four hundred in there. They'll be gone eventually. So that leads right up into one of my favorite questions that I always ask everybody: is how has working in this industry affected your relationship to alcohol? And I'll give you like a little bit of the backstory. I clearly a very large reason why I wanted to open a beer brewery is because I wanted to be a professional alcoholic. And so we can argue that however we want to, and I can stand up for myself, and I will fail. But um, I went through that. I obviously had to kind of break that to an extent, but you know, to, that's still there. And I think a lot of people I've talked to have that issue. So how, how has it affected your relationship to alcohol where you have to have a beer at 10 a.m. sometimes to check things out or whatever? Oh, you mean like I was today when you walked in? Correct. Um, yeah, so I had an incident. I'll completely own it. I had an incident here prior to our manager meeting one year. Uh, this is a couple years back. And I just shit was going on. So I drank, got really hammered, and conducted our meeting, and it was utterly embarrassing. I've never been one, like, I don't think there's one employee here that's seen me drunk at the bar. I was not that type of person. I just, it just was a bad day, and I just didn't eat and whatever, and at that moment, I said I wasn't going to drink here anymore. I will have a beer when I'm in the office. Very rarely will you ever see me even sampling. Uh, when Carrie's in town, I will have a beer. Usually when we're done with our day. Uh, today I had one. It is my day off, to be sure. fair. Today I had one just because I wanted to kind of loosen up for this thing. But uh, I don't drink here anymore. Other than like what I said, I just kind of just became something that I just wanted to separate. And I actually really reduced the amount that I drink in general. I really would prefer to kind of work out and be healthy. That's why we started uh, Pedals and Pints here, which is a mountain bike group. It's kind of earn your calories, get yeah. out and do something, and then, you know, enjoy a beer or a burger or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I saw that my kids would make comments about, like, oh, it's weird that you're not drinking at dinner. You know what I mean? Those yeah. little things, especially as they got older, that uh, I want to set a little better example. So it's unfortunate because I've seen a lot of my friends that I don't think I – I hope they turn it around, but it's, it's too much. And it, and it is a culture that really, it's unfortunate, but it is, it's, it's very important that you do drink and you feel like an asshole if you're not drinking. Like you, oh, but some people will make it weird. Yeah. yeah. Like they, they'll, and, and I've been that person cause I do sober October every year and people like literally treat you differently. And I'm like, oh, because I'm not drinking. And I have friends that are sober in this industry and I, I really feel bad for them because I, people are just dicks. They don't get it. Like I don't need to be hammered to, to do my job. Right. It's your life. Yeah. It's what you do. So, yeah, it's, but that's the thing is I think you go through a learning curve and you're like, hey, you know, it's more about business and doing this. Like, it's not just about drinking anymore. Yeah. But yeah, I, mean, I listen, man, I'll, I'll tie it on. I'll have a good time, but it's usually at home or with friends. But I just, I kind of separated, separation church and state. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I, anybody that was working here at this time knows, knows the exact meeting that I'm talking about. And they, I think they would all agree that it's, it was a good thing. <laughs> it was a good turning point. It was a good thing. <laughs> I never good came out of it. I, I, would be, I will be able to say confidently I've never embarrassed myself in front of uh, customers or something like that. Wow. That's I technically wasn't working that day. I just I came in for the meeting. But you know what? It's, it's, it's good when you can have that one bad experience that doesn't lead to like have negative repercussions like a DUI or something oh, yeah. terrible. It could have been way worse. Yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. You can just go, hey, you know what? Let's learn from it and then stick to those guns. Yeah, you know, I've, I've I've had relationships here, and because of alcohol consumption, and it sucks because they just couldn't stop. And I'm like, dude, we don't allow drinking here, so 
it sucks, but you know, we get past it. Well, eventually we all either grow up or get out of it for yep, sure. That's so exactly that. Pretty much what I have seen. Well, I absolutely appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us today. I can only begin to tell you how important the information was. And I think that what you have shared, if I'm a guy or a girl considering opening a brewery, is just eye-opening. So it's just helpful to sit and chat with you. These are one of those conversations that you don't get to do if you're considering a brewery. Um, and not to mention, I had a fucking blast. Uh, sounds like Paul did. Same. Yeah. Same. So, uh, well, I'm glad to have you guys in. Let's get you some food. Yeah, but let, let's leave by telling everybody how to find you guys. I mean, obviously, you got a couple locations now. You're opening a third. You got to have an online presence. Where Where is Aces in the world? So, acesnails.com. Obviously, you can find us at all the different social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. We've got our location on 2801 North Teneo Way in Las Vegas. That's our west side location. And then 3740 South Nellis Boulevard, which is the OG, the east side location. And then upcoming, hopefully pending any more construction COVID delays, <laughs> we'll have our third location located in uh, the new master build called The Bend, which is going to be in southwest Las Vegas across from Ikea. Uh, which will be a 10,000-square-foot restaurant, bar, and brewery. And we may or may not have some other spots that we're kind of keeping an eye on. So, no, we're, we've, we've definitely got a, a, a fun, bright future at Aces and Ales, but acesandales.com has everything you need, anything. Then you can always call and email us, and we're happy to take your reservations for parties and all sorts of stuff that we can do at either location. And is the brewery going to be called Aces and Ales, or is it a... It is not. Oh, do you want to tease that, or do you want to let us just not. wait? I'm not going to tease that. Well, here's a... Let me, te- let me tease as a consumer. If you are not from Nevada, and you're visiting Las Vegas, catch an Uber to Aces and Ales. I don't care which location you go to at That's that point. Beer. But I will tell you that the, the selection is going to be better what you're going to find on the strip. It's not going to cost you as much. It's going to be a much better time. Shameless plug for my friends here. We get so much... Uh, travel from the strip and we've actually looked at doing some kiosk style stuff once the brewery opens down there yeah, yeah just to um, drag them in kind of like the the one you were asking about sin city that doesn't mm-hmm. exist anymore you want to talk about expensive yeah i can only well, imagine like, that's dude that's the numbers tag. are insane you're like what <laughs> like because i know what we pay here and then i'm like oh my god for four stools Wow, fourteen dollar okay. pint. Well, you can build the stools. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I'm talking the square footage. You're like, oh my god. You're like, how much do you have to sell? How many pints? Yeah. No, it's crazy, man. But no, Vegas is a great town, and we got a great beer scene coming up. A lot of really cool breweries. The Arts District is great. You know, we just hope that people get off the strip and check out some of the local stuff around here because they're really we're coming along. We're, we're, we're going to get there eventually. Yeah, you guys have been here a while. Yeah, yeah. we're going to get there. We're, gonna, we're, we're still coming. we got some great, great breweries coming along. Well, on that note, Adam, Paul, thanks for everything. Thank you. Let's Thank go get you. some food and drink. Let's do it. So, hey, where are you kids buying your grains? You know, back in the day, we only had two options, and each of them knew it. When there isn't any competition, things like customer service and aggressive pricing just don't make a bit of sense to the big guys' bottom lines. But Brewery Direct has given lots of fucks about their customers since the day they sold their first bag of grain back in 2016. They sourced grains for quality and grains for price. And as an extension of Johnson Brothers Bakery Supply, their access to unique ingredients and brewing adjuncts is simply unparalleled. And now, with warehouses from Washington to New Jersey, you've got no excuse for an overpriced or unimaginative grain bill. You can't make great beer from any old bullshit, and Brewery Direct knows that. They have great prices on great grains and offer great service to great breweries of all sizes. Oh, did I mention the free shipping? 
Check them out at brewerydirect.com or just type Brewery Direct into all of those social medias you seem to like so damn much. Hey guys, I want to thank you for sticking around. I appreciate you spending time with my guests tonight today. A couple of housekeeping things. I want to remind you that my book is available on Amazon, both on Kindle and in the paperback. And you'll see probably about another month, there'll be an audiobook. So if you don't like to read and for some reason you're burdened with loving to listen to my voice, you will get more of that um, in that audiobook. But again, thanks for sticking around and I look forward to the next podcast. Uh, peace out. See you soon. Free play. Media. Media.